All right, between Sphinx and now this one, we're just getting people from across the world. It's yeah, great. Very you wear a Sphinx from? Is he Australian? He's Australian, I believe. Yeah. But he's very elusive. He's very evasive about where he's from for no good reason. He's like yeah. fucking Makami. He just like spreads I thought that's kind of like a, a pretty common trait of uh, RYMers, though, eh? like saying they're from somewhere and then like not really specifying where. I don't know. <laughs> No, that does that does happen, but it's a little easier like in the states, I guess. Like probably yeah, just be like, okay, if you're from New York, you're probably from one of like ten areas mm. or something like that, you know. Yeah. Whereas if you're from Australia, I mean that's a gigantic continent. So, I mean, my frame of reference for Australia is pretty much just stuff that I've heard from Seaside. Apparently, bogan is an in, a really like offensive thing you can say about Australians if you say somebody's a bogan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's bogans in New Zealand too. Like it's uh, that part of the world kind of thing. So, yeah. Like a bogan so, would be like sort of like a MAGA chud in America. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of like, uh, yeah, the equivalent of like trailer trash, I suppose. Yeah, is what, yeah, what yeah, you'd yeah. consider like a bogan. Yeah. But they differ. Like Australian bogans, New Zealand bogans, there's slight, slight differences too. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy world out there, man. <laughs> Yeah, Australia versus New Zealand. What's like the perception of, like, is there any? I don't know how like the. Uh, I know that originally, and this has got to be forever ago, right? But like, people in the UK like didn't fuck with Australia, and that's how like Australia was like even created. Well, Australia's like historically, it's um, it's where they like lots of convicts were sent to. Like that's oh, how yeah. they established Australia as we know it. So, um, but the relationship between New Zealand and Australia, it's it's kind of similar to like Canada and the States. Okay. Where, I don't know. Like I suppose New Zealand's kind of in a way looked at as like an underdog, you know, in Australia's shadow a little bit. Um, yeah, I suppose that's one of the like main perceptions. There's a great episode of Flight of the Concords where um, Aziz Ansari plays a racist grocer. Oh, it's so good, man. I love the episode. <laughs> yeah, who, won't, who won't sell them an apple because yeah. he thinks they're Australian. <laughs> but then he finds out they're New Zealand and they're, that's, that's okay. Welcome to the Living Off Borrowed Time podcast, an ongoing conversation about hip hop. I am your host, Patrick, joined as mostly always by my co host, Caleb, Optimal Audio and RYM. Joined this week by resident Makami and presumably Rock Marciano expert, Thought Val, who 
this week is going to be talking about Rock Marciano, as you could probably guess by the intro. As once again, I completely do a terrible intro. But <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for getting me on. I'm glad we could uh, finally line it up. I'm sorry that I couldn't have done it earlier, but you know, well, I mean, time we have more internet like. Once again, like our recent guest, Battered Sphinx, uh, past couple few episodes, he's been on twice. We have an international flavor again going on here. We were debating prior to recording about New Zealand versus Australia. Yeah. And I'm not going to dox Sphinx because, you know, he's very loose about where he's from. But, you know, clearly a lot of thorny issues there between the two. Yeah. You were saying there's like a USA-Canada thing going on. I think both would probably consider the other Canada. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's probably a fair way. I, I don't know, I feel like Australia doesn't really, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's a whole other episode. <laughs> that, that is a whole other episode. We'll do that for the Avantdale Bowling Club episode. Of right, which there's going to be one or two releases to talk about. <laughs> well, they have a live album. Okay. So, we right. play the shit from the first album. Right. Yeah, they um they recently played uh, in the capital in New Zealand um for like a jazz fest. Um, they played at one of the opera houses, and apparently it was awesome. So, I mean, they're good. I I would mm. talk about them. We could talk about one of the most asinine RYM threads ever, where it was like somebody got offended. The dude was putting on like was hiding his New Zealand accent. He totally isn't though. Like that's the whole thing about Tom Scott is like he got this reputation for rapping in his New Zealand accent. Like, so uh, reading that was really weird for me. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're going to tell a, me like a New Zealander, this dude doesn't sound like a New Zealander when he clear, like clearly does. It's real strange. Clearly you would be the expert on that as opposed to somebody from America commenting on that. Who's just come. Yeah, I think that, I think that dude was from the UK. Um, so I mean, there's lots of New Zealanders in the UK, but yeah. I don't know. It's strange. Yeah. Strange. Thing it was a read. weird complaint to have. And the threat yeah. was very annoying. But we're talking about somebody who does not have, uh, who will not ever be mistaken for faking an accent from where they're from, Rock Marciano. And yeah, that was a pretty forced transition. (laughs) But we do do have the best transitions in the game. So like, you know, it it worked out. I mean, I I have a lot of pressure on myself, like, you know, to have great transitions to make up for my terrible intros. Right. You have to live up. Yeah, you have to live up to the hype of, of like, okay, we know he's going to botch the intro in a new creative way each week, so how is he going to nail the transitions this time to make up for it? Well, when you hear the Danny Brown episode, the Triple X episode, I actually have a good intro for that one, and you'll hear that the intro I did this week will make more sense, and then you'll realize how badly I botched it this week. But anyway, so Rock Marciano. When was the first time y'all heard Rock Marciano? Um, for me, it was uh, in 2011, I think. I think Marsburg had came out. Oh, Marsburg had came out. Um, that was kind of during my, uh, I feel like a few people have, you know, been through this, they're like real hip hop, you know, fuck Lil Wayne kind of phase, which is kind of embarrassing to reflect on. Um, That's but a recurring I theme to... I've noticed with guests, by the way, is everybody yeah. has this real dusty head hip hop phase. And a lot of times... Yeah. It, it involves like you know direct reaction against Lil Wayne specifically. Mm. Like uh, mm. GOZ is still in that phase, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to leave that phase. I think there's there's a subset of the community that I think came in in that phase and is just going to stay in that phase. Like, I, and I think it's just like a part of 
not necessarily a generational thing, but when you got into hip hop, maybe. Because mm. I think that might be, if you got into hip hop in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, or, or what have you, and you kind of watch it, you know, evolve in many different phases, and you didn't like, at least on a popular level, like what it evolved into. Um, then I feel like it's different when you grow up with it. Like I grew up with a lot of just when hip hop was like really, really modernizing via the internet is when I grew up with it. So I'm kind of like, I I didn't really get, I didn't really, I I told Patrick this in the show before. I never really went through the dusty phase. Like I went through phases where I would only listen to like older stuff, you know, stuff from pre 21st century. But it was never a, um, like, fuck this other kind of hip-hop right. phase. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, rock, I would say, kind of appeals directly to that sort of niche fan. Yeah, yeah. But he also does a lot of shit that's, like, a lot stranger than that sort of, Like, he's not, like, terminology or doing, like, static select. Like, I could never picture rock doing, like, a static select collab album. Although it probably would be dope uh, if he did. But that just doesn't seem like... Whatever he does, he does it with a level of craftsmanship and detail and personality that's more than just being like a throwback tribute act, even though his style is very much a throwback to a specific time and place and his style. Yeah. Like on its face, it's, he's clearly just doing an old, like a nostalgic style of rap, but having listened to his whole discography as homework for the episode, you realize that there's, he's like improving upon it and evolving it a lot. Mm-hmm. in the way he structures and writes and his style is too because he started off a lot more conventional than he would become yeah like with the un stuff yeah so but the first time i heard i mean well you didn't really finish talking i'll let you finish talking. oh yeah i was just gonna say so i used to frequent um that forum ughh uh, undergroundhiphop.com which is uh at the time an absolute cesspool but um Marsberg was getting a lot of hype at the time um and i think the first song i heard was pop which is not really reflective of his overall sound it's like um you know very like drum heavy um and then i think like i don't think i heard the whole album i think i kind of it was around 2013 which i actually started making an effort and then i got really gone to marsburg after um the pimpire strikes back tape which was free i think um yeah, that was free. yeah and then from there i just yeah became obsessive so yeah that's my story i guess and uh optimal what do you where do you went yeah i um i think i came into rock well first of all the point about rock marciano being an artist that attracts like dust um just it, it, look no further than uh a lot of the comment sections on his uh his youtube videos which are truly hilarious um in just the way that people go out of their way to just like praise his music at the expense of just like hip hop in general. Like it's the whole, Oh, you know, hip hop is trash sentiment, but this shit's still keeping it alive. Like, mm. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of real hip hop shit. This ain't that radio shit. This ain't little Uzi vert. This is, right. you know. <laughs> right. it's just like pick one rapper that you can think of off the top of your head. Cause like, they don't really know that many of them. Like from that that are like popular, but they're just like I, I heard this one. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, um, I think I heard Rock for the first time via the website. I hadn't heard him 
prior to like 2016. I heard Re- Reloaded was the first one I had heard. And it was at the recommendation of probably via like just being on uh, the hip hop board on, on RYM. Um, and I ended up going to like listen to Reloaded and I kind of really liked it, but I sort of put the rest of his discog on the back burner. And then later in the year, like maybe early 2017, early mid 2017, I got into because I heard Rosebud's Revenge was the second album I heard, and then I dove into like some, the rest of his stuff at that point, and then have have subsequently followed him with each release. But I think Marsburg, I really, I mean, not Marsburg, Reloaded, I really fucked with. And then I heard Rosebud's Revenge, and I really fucked with that. And then I kind of went from there. Um, and, you know, it was also like when Rosebud's Revenge came out, that was when a lot of like, I think a lot of, um, not mainstream, but just like underground adjacent people kind of noticed Rock Marciano because that he had like the dead and hip hop cosigns and stuff like that. So he was getting like a little more attention. Well, the way I heard, well, actually the way I heard him first off, first off was back in 2000, way back in 2007 when Wu-Tang versus the Indie Culture came out. Oh, I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was and I didn't really read his verse that, that much because I mainly listened to that album for the MCs that I knew already. I didn't really get like, have too much time for the ones that I, like I mainly listened to it for like, you know, Jizz and Razkaz together, Jizz and RZA together, uh, like Bastair, Vortal, even Vortal's on that song. Vortal gets completely washed by Rock Marciano. I can't believe I would say that Vortal had my favorite verse on that if you asked me. But like, there's no way. Like Rock's verse on that's nuts. But at the time, I didn't really, his voice wasn't that distinctive to me. Like at that point, his voice is somewhere halfway between where he was with the UN and where he would be with, Marsburg, I always have trouble pronouncing it. Marsburg slash uh, Reloaded, I think, is really where he hones his modern voice. Because I think there's like two separate stages of his career. But uh, that's when I first heard him. Then I heard Marsburg when it got a lot of hype on the smoking section when it dropped. Weiss, I think, gave it a lot of hype. It definitely ended up pretty high on the Passion of the Weiss end of the year list. And it didn't really move me that much. I thought it was what it was doing was really good for what it was doing. But it seemed like a tribute act to me which contrary to what I said about him earlier, but that album specifically, it's like, Oh, the beats sound like DJ premier group home era type stuff. They're the rappings really cold punchline and uh, dusty, but as well executed, but it's felt kind of, I don't know, hollow, but rock kept showing up on other rappers that I liked more shit, mainly like action Bronson. He showed up on the first track of uh, blue chips, pouches of tuna. That's a great fucking song. He showed like I got into Ka around the same time and Rock and Ka always work together and that gave me more of an appreciation. We'll talk about their pairings too as we go on through Rock's discography. And eventually we like and there's a Lucy that we're gonna talk about called Poltergeist that it's that so was something that that came out around the same time as the singles for Reloaded. That's where I really started rating Rock as an artist and checking for him all the time. And then Reloaded was what sold me on him entirely. That yeah. album hit really hard. I'll explain why when we get to it. But and I guess all of this I was coming to it like from us more uh, chronologically, probably a little sooner than you guys, like as it happened. So versus like it seems like you guys were coming to it a little and that's not trying to say like, oh, I was on board before. Clearly I wasn't, because I had Wu Tang versus the indie culture at for years and I did, couldn't pick his verse out of a lineup. 
until I really learned to distinguish his voice. Right. But yeah, I guess That's we started. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to say that that song has such an odd lineup. Hey, it's him, Vortal Mega, Tragedy, Gaddafi, and is it Casual from? Um, is it Casual yeah, or is it someone yeah, else yeah, like that? Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, just a really like odd kind of grouping, but I guess it works. Like, well, that's kind of the, that album's whole concept is that it puts together like I don't know who the Wu Tang is on that on that song though. Like, it's supposed to be like you have a Wu Tang or Wu Tang adjacent rapper and a bunch of indie rappers like yeah just like, a note, like you know jizza and razkaz made sense doom and Riz, rizza makes sense but then you just have like a bunch of indie rappers over like a bronze nazareth beat or a fourth disciple yeah. beat. and it still works pretty well like that's a pretty good album i like mm. the album but yeah. but i guess starting from the beginning with rock he was associated with flip mode at the beginning i believe like you are the expert i would say you can take the reins on his chronolo chronolo yeah chronolo his career. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I think his first appearance on Wax is uh, The Prophecy, which is from 97. Um, and it would have been one of those tracks that would have been really popular. Well, not really popular, but would have got, you know, a bit of um, airtime on Stretch and Bobbito. So, it's just like a um, pretty typical kind of um, independent East Coast song, right? Where there's like no real regard for. Um, having like a certain bar structure it's just like you just keep rapping and rapping and rapping and then the next guy will jump in kind of thing but then um i guess i don't know what he was doing in between that but then yeah sometime i think either in like 99 or 2000 was when um buster rhymes like recruited him into foot mode because um i think even before that actually there's another thing where there's a buster rhymes song over a dilla beat with a biggie verse and a rock verse as well, or like oh, I got, I got, yeah, I, I got like. Why was I not told uh, about this, man? This is always like the guests always make me look bad. They normally don't. They only wait a little while before they make me look bad. Right away. Come on, the fuck? Yeah, like, it's, what is um, it I need to find this. Oh man, is it just like a biggie verse that was used elsewhere? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but so. I'm just trying to think when that would that would probably be when did Biggie die? Ninety seven? Ninety seven, yeah. Yeah, so it must have been like around the similar time to um to the prophecy or thereabouts. Because from what I understand, like um Rock has said that growing up he was kind of around the bomb squad or like, you know, members of the bomb squad going to kind of the studios and kind of observing things. So he was like already kind of had some connections before he had music out, and I guess Buster Rhymes would have taken notice and then um, kind of recruited him into flip mode. But I don't think the flip mode stuff really resolved in much music. The only track I can think of is the heist on the um, Buster Rhymes Anarchy album. Doesn't that and also have Ghost and Raekwon on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like yeah. a, it's like a, a concept track, like a bank robbery type thing, where they all kind of have a different role in the track. And yeah, then that's like um, Ghost always does really well with those tracks. That's also like um, Yolanda's house on um, on Big Doe Rehab. That's like Ghost yep. Raekwon and Method Man. Three different stories about like being like like uh, they're all with the same girl and in the same house and what happens with like they each pick up the end of the story and they like yeah Ghost and Ray have a bunch of songs like that. So I always kind of associated Rock with like Wu Tang more than anything. So it's interesting he yeah. came up with Flip Mode, but that song like, is probably part of why I would associate him with Because that's also one of the first songs of his I heard where I never really associated him with the guy that would get all the hype. Right. But I do recall hearing that song. 
specifically. Hmm. On like a ghost, probably on like one of the hidden darts tapes, maybe. Like those ghost face compilations, if anyone's familiar with those, there were like four of them. Yeah, well, one of the, was it the Vatican mixtapes that um, Raekwon yeah, that, that, that was Raekwon, and that's actually interesting too, because I think that was all hosted by Jay Love, who did do a tape with Rock Marciano. Yeah. Yeah, so, which I actually annoying have... DJs of all time. Anyway, shout out to J Love, you fucking. Suck. <laughs> 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 um, um, I don't sorry. know if there's ever any. Uh, I forget. I didn't actually listen to the rock tape for this one. I've heard it in the past, but does he try and rap on that one? Because there is one. Because he tries to rap on the Action Bronson tape, and it's one, oh my. He makes Khaled look like a good rap like an actual rapper as far as like no, I don't, know. I actually, don't actually do anything rapping go dj Khaled is 10 times the rapper j love is <laughs> i haven't actually heard that tape um and i think yeah probably because i looked at the track listing and i was like oh it's just stuff from masperg or thereabouts so and I, yeah i probably don't want to have j love yelling in between the tracks as well um i don't know i wouldn't surprise me if he has a verse though because do you remember kind of early on um with Action Bronson, he was in that group, or like the clip of the Outdoorsman, where it was like him, Mayhem, Shaz, Ill York, uh, AG, the Coroner, and someone else. Like there was like a whole bunch of them. Yeah, I and remember that. Jay Love uh, like, hosts their shit too. So, and then, yeah, that's when he would have been trying to rap with them, which was pretty awful. But, <laughs> but yeah, Jay Love actually had a pretty good like ear for who was going to blow up in terms of, because Bronson blew up in a completely different mm. way than Marciano blew up. But yeah. That was way, way later. This was back in the turn of the... And I actually decided to bring up the Flip Mode squad, squad, squad roster because this is something we do on the show sometimes is we go through the RYM page. And I know it's not exactly exhaustive. Sometimes RYM gets shit wrong. But I like to look at these whole crews and see who exactly we remember who did anything from this crew. Flip Mode squad members. Baby Sham, 97 to 2008. Who the fuck? Busta yeah. Rhymes, MC producer, 96 to present, obviously. Chauncey Black, vocals, 2004 to 09. I did not even know Flip Mode was a thing, like, past, like, 2002, really, but I guess it was. DJ Scratch, producer, 96 to 2009. Laba. Most of these people have RYM pages, too, which makes me think they have, like, solo projects. 2003 mm. to 2007. Lord Have Mercy, 96 to 2000. M Dollars, 2003 to 07. Mika, 97 to 03. Papoose. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, Papoose, for a, one year. <laughs> he was only in flip mode from 2006 to 07. That's like a shorter run than Busta had with Cash Money. Uh, <laughs> Raw Digga, 97 to 07. Rampage. 96 to 06. I remember Rampage vaguely. Like, he actually is kind of... I feel like he might not be bad. Reek DeVille. He came back um, a couple years ago. Like, he was going to have a reality TV show at one point. <laughs> yeah, his name actually seems to ring more bells than, like, a lot of the other weed carrier people on this roster. Uh, Reek DeVille, 2006 to 09. Rock Marciano, 99 to 01. Serious, 1997, Show Money, 2007 to present. I love that we have till present, by the way. I guess there were more <laughs> people on like the current Bust album. Uh, Spliff Star, 96 to present. Spliff Star, I think, was the origin of the term weed carrier. Whoever came up with it, I think it was Buckley Crawford. Because <laughs> Spliff Star is literally named after his job, which is just to carry the main act weed. Uh, he's, uh, he's like music he's weed guy in all the music videos and everything he's like weed guy number two and like a hype williams video 
which is like a credit. He doesn't even get an artist credit. Spliff Star never put out an album. He did put out <laughs> two mixtapes, though. Let the Streets Decide and One Shot Willie. Uh, Let the Streets Decide. Willie has a pretty great cover on it. <laughs> there are no reviews or ratings for this. This is the ongoing tradition of us uh, critiquing mixtape album covers and pairing them against each other. Yeah, right now we have like one of the all-time winners is probably Gravy as a yeah. Mayor Goonberg, I believe, goes to Africa. It's, it's baffling. Wow, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to knock off that one. <laughs> I mean, the OJ to Juice Man had a long stretch of great mixtape covers too. If you want to look those, it's true. Up. What's that Gucci Mane one where he's like getting thrown out of the window? I think I think you reviewed it recently, Pat. Um, or you getting thrown out of a window? Something like, oh, fuck, what was it? Um, I, I mean, like, there are plenty of classic Gucci ones where there's one where he's eating at, a, at IWOP instead of IHOP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, do love, I do love that one. <laughs> and of course, so Elgato and the Human Glacier. Oh, yes. the Human, the human <laughs> Glacier. <laughs> that one is so good. <laughs> yeah. You know what's crazy about that one as well? Um, do you guys know that album by OGC, um, The Storm? Like the Beatliners produced Bootcamp Click album? I know the name, but I can't, like, I couldn't place any music off of it. Because uh, uh, the cover of that is, like, all of their three faces on, like, a cliff face, and there's, like, um, these big waves coming, and it's kind of, like, in a way, the precursor to, um, to that Gucci Mane one. I mean, that, that Gucci cover almost strikes me as something Lil B would do. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. For one of his like based spoken word rain in England Dior paint <laughs> style projects, seven album next time. <laughs> I wonder if Gucci's book has an audio book. I need to hear Gucci read his autobiography to me. Oh man, that'd be amazing. I want it should have ad libs. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it has to have ad libs. You can't have a Gucci biography without ad libs. I'm still looking for this mixtape cover art for the gravy one or. No, the Gucci one. Oh, wow. Oh, the Gucci getting thrown out of a window? Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to find it. I, I, do, oh, love the Gu- I do love the Gucci, the Burr print 3D. It's a great cover art. Oh, I might yeah, be remembering it incorrectly, but it was one that you said is really weird. Like, there's lots of really baffling tracks on it, even, I suppose, by Gucci. Oh, the Gucci. I think you're thinking of the <laughs> The Gucci. Yeah, that was the one, yeah. <laughs> The Gucci, the yeah, Gucci I found it. Amazing in general. Shout out to uh, Sophia Phantom. Um, we were originally going to do December for Gucci, but we had uh, scheduling problems, like too many episodes actually. So I think we might do February instead for Oof. Gucci. So I just want to say, Patrick, your uh, your review that leads off with LOL is <laughs> an incredible. The description of the song, it's basically Trey Songs reading through an internet cliches for dummies book in 2009. <laughs> it's an amazing sentence. I'm not doing it justice. That instru- And also, that instrumental makes less sense than most of the clown music we listen to when the ICP episode. <laughs> I have to listen to this mixtape. I remember you guys talking about it. He goes over a 3-6 Mafia ballad. <laughs> yes yes let's go i mean i uh wait did you know there were three six mafia ballads i think that has carrie hilson on it too <laughs> oh, oh that oh that was from the uh that was from the really bad three six era yeah that was uh, from the dark times yeah but, the dark times yeah 
the the um the last to walk era. Um, yeah, I think that might be more baffling than the Tiesto song. Tiesto is on the mixtape. The Gucci? Oh no, he's not. He, oh, he's not. He's not. I, I thought. I genuinely thought Gucci had a Tiesto feature on. No, his but um, what else does he have on there? He goes over uh, he, part of. Um, he goes over obsessed with Mariah Carey. Oh yeah, right? he goes over the entirety of obsessed with Mariah Carey. Like that's. <laughs> Interesting. He goes over Boom Boom Pow, the Black Eyed Peas song. <laughs> he goes over one part of Boom Boom Pow. Um, what the he, fuck? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, he, he does like several sarcastic Lil Wayne impressions. Like, yeah, like Lollipop era Lil Wayne impressions for no no apparent reason. Um it's it's a really impressive tape. I really recommend everybody listen to the Gooch by Gucci Man, which is not a Rock Marciano release, but if you listen to, any, <laughs> well, this episode, right. if you listen to anything, it should be the Gooch by Gucci Man. <laughs> this is a great cover art, though. I will give I will give you that. This cover art fucking. There's rules. also a Gucci cover art uh, for called Buy My Album, where it's just a stand up <laughs> of him with a text almost saying Buy My Album. It's like a cardboard stand up of Gucci saying. Buy my album. <laughs> Oh, I found it. Oh, my God. There it is. <laughs> I need to make a physical of that, hey, where it's just like a cardboard cutout with like a record of inside of it or something, you know? like. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen The Critic, but there's a gag where um, the Jay Sherman character has like a book, like a one of those things, but his first book, and it just goes, buy my book, buy <laughs> my book. It gets louder and more obnoxious each time. So I'd like to find <laughs> a Gucci one that does that. But it's like, oh, my <laughs> Buy my album, burn! It's like you're ad I've I've come across Gucci Time Two, Gucci Two Time. I I don't know. I don't know if it's a real mixtape cover art, but it's a uh, it's Gucci, and it's uh, under the 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 time. There's like a a clock uh, symbol, <laughs> and it's Gucci holding his watch, which is reflecting light back at you. I mean, Did Gucci? Like was it Gucci or um, Rich Homie or both who had that tape that was just called Trust God Fuck Six? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gucci is just an incredible, incredible discog, incredible moments uh, throughout yeah. his discog. Uh, episodes are going. It's, we're gonna have to do a whole month to get through his entire discography. Oh my god, it's gonna be it's gonna be an ongoing. We have first of all, we have so many episodes in the can that we like we we can't even uh, get to Gucci because we have a, a bunch before. But his is gonna take. I mean, it's gonna that's a whole season right there. Yeah, that's not Charles Hamilton level, but it's you know <laughs> Charles Hamilton. Yeah, we'll, that we'll, we'll never complete that because no. he just dropped fifty while he was in quarantine. I was going to do a Charles Hamilton segment for this episode, but. I, you know, as usual, decided I didn't get through enough stuff for it. I actually did listen to some things for it, but not. I figured there's enough Rock Marciano stuff. We haven't actually started talking about it. Sure. We, 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 we probably should start, you know, uh, probably so we as, don't have As to... usual, we got bogged down in the looking at, you know, mixtape cover art. <laughs> and, uh, what, wait, what is this called? Gooch Somnia Addicted to Gucci? <laughs> what the fuck is this? Okay, okay so, so Gucci, Gucci, Gucci yeah, two yeah, times. So it's this is definitely not uh, official or sanctioned, but it's worth seeing. <laughs> Gucci Two Time is also a real mixtape that happened. There are 
a million features, most of them from uh, Papa Smurf. Well, I mean, he went from hanging out with Papa Smurf to hanging out with, uh, what the fuck is that guy's name? The worst rapper in it. It's like something with doo-doo in it. Or, uh, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, uh, pa- Poosh Icedy. Poosh Icedy, yes. Poosh Icedy. Did Poosh Icedy and Shorty Shirt say you've a collab? <laughs> See, I made a reference I, I to Shorty Shirt's name before on this podcast, and he didn't know who I was talking about. Oh, man. It's got that great verse on um, Pretty Unique 2. Where it sounds like he's crying. Like, <laughs> like Ghostface and I can't go to sleep, but not, not quite that good. <laughs> oh, man. What a video. But uh, real quick, before we get up, we'll get back to Rock, guys. The Gooch Somnia Addicted to Gucci mixtape cover. It is Gucci. It is a drawing of, it looks like an oil painting of Gucci <laughs> in a creepy room with a 1017 Brick Squad calendar. Uh, old, old, <laughs> timey tv that's like somehow like black and white but it has like a green fuzz on it there's like a creepy doll the the gucci that's drawn here is making like the burr face or what one of the constipated gucci face and he's in a straight jacket i don't know why he's in a straight jacket in this house and not in like a mental institution but we're, we're like mixing five or six horror movie tropes here it's really impressive <laughs> i it's just a lot going on and now I'm looking at the uh, track list, and it has, like, I don't know if this is, like, maybe it is official. It's got a track with Pharrell that I've never heard of, a track with Cameron that I've never heard of. There's These no way. A track with, a track called Smooches featuring Sean Garrett. <laughs> that, that's not promising. <laughs> I, I I just, I, I'm just in awe of this. Mate. I'm, I'm you still... know who never made a song called Smooches, though? He has sampled a smooch on one of his songs. His Rock Marciano. Right. We do need to talk about it, or else this will be a three-hour podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's probably going to end up being a three-hour podcast anyway. Most some, of us have, some of us have to get to sleep at a normal hour. Some of us have work. in. The... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I had to do that before once, too. True. Uh, That's true. That's true. You got to make the sacrifices. So, and Rock Marciano sacrificed by being on a major label with Flip Mode Squad, which wasn't a great fit for him. But mm. it did allow him. So basically, the UN album came out in like what, 2006? Because I thought it came out 2004. in 2000. 2004. I thought it yeah. came out in like 2000 when I first was thinking about it. But then I'm listening to it and they're making references to like LeBron on it and shit. So clearly. Yeah, and also, um, there's stuff before that where, because they were doing stuff of um, Pete Rock. I think they're on one of the Pete's. Yes, yes. That, I forgot to find that shit. Too. I mean, I actually think I've heard that shit before when I was going through like a Pete Rock binge, but I didn't find it for this episode. So I may have heard that in the past. Yeah, so I guess, like, I don't know, early 2000s was kind of busy for Rock, right? Because he was doing flip mode, well, kind of doing flip mode stuff, and then UN stuff, and then, I suppose, you know, features on Pete Rock albums. And then, of course, uh, Woo meets Indie Culture. So, yeah. Well, I guess basically, well Sorry. what project should we talk about first? Should we talk about what came first, Strength and Honor, or you in or you, in or you out? I believe you in or you out, um, but... Maybe they weren't like that far apart, like you know, it was like a few months or something. Um, yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I suppose was this your first time listening to You In or You Out? Or, yeah, I think this was pro. I think there was maybe one or two tracks I'd heard on like compilations or something that had come up because one or two sounded familiar, although I can't place them right now. As a whole, this is the first time I'd heard it. I was impressed overall. 
Yeah. Although it's I just a um, that's a good like hardcore East Coast record, you know. Like there wasn't a whole lot of that at the time. It was like what then, uh, Screwball and I don't know. I suppose like Sean Price stuff. But 2004, I suppose, wasn't really you know a big time for that kind of sound. I mean, what I would compare it to a little bit was um, parts of it reminded me of um, Frank and Dank, kind of, but more lyrical. Okay. Or maybe something like Grave Diggers, but more, like, less jokey. Okay. Um, I definitely thought Rock was the most standout of the MCs. Yep. Like, if I listened to it, even not going into it as a Rock project, I'd be like, this guy is the one who stands out. The others are certainly not bad. One kind of has yeah. the next vibe. I want to say Dino Brave. Yeah, definitely Dino Brave. I, know, I can't really tell Larko and Mark Roar apart very well, typically. Yeah, the other two kind of blend together. They don't have, like, bad verses or anything. Yeah. They all have good chemistry together. Mm. Um, there are a few. This is definitely the most rappery Rock Marciano performance I heard. This in the mixtape. Yeah. Like, he has parts on this that are kind of almost super lyrical miracle. He pulls it off, though. Like, But mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, he's really aggressive. And on um, uh, as, as it ain't no thing, he's got that whole scheme where it's like... Um, the Ron Al Hubbard of rhyme punish abuse and he just like goes off and it's yeah, there's lots of like venom in yeah, his like voice. One, one thing where he talks like the line where he name drops David Berkowitz, I forgot what song. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yes, one, David I, that one definitely felt like he I couldn't really remember any other recent song in the past decade or so where he really just like just kind of spools off like that. He definitely yeah. feels way more aggressively battle rap, like the relaxed persona like the relaxed almost monotone persona the like carefully crafted that doesn't seem to be so much his approach yet like you can tell yeah. the punchlines the writing styles like very much where he would like already formed but the delivery is different and yeah, it's, it's still good and it's still good but i prefer where he would go later hmm. and also it's got really it's got um good production on there it's got large pro beats it's got pete rock and it's like dark pete rock you know like it's Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of likened it to, like, Pete Rock's take on, like, 95 RZA, like on um, Game of Death. That sounds like a RZA beat to me. Interesting. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good analog for it. Like, the Wu-Tang, like I hear the Wu-Tang influences for sure. Like, yep. generally, my... My read on Rock for the longest time was that he was kind of a modern Raekwon in the same way that, like, when he, like, people would call Bronson a modern ghost face. And that's kind of a superficial read just because their voices sound alike. But stylistically, yeah. he could be that way for a while, his early stuff at least. And I kind yeah. of thought of Marciano as kind of a modern-day Raekwon in the same way. And, right. But I think Raekwon's more story-oriented, whereas... Rock is more like Rock's more punchline oriented, I would say, mm. than Raekwon. And um, what did you think of his beats on this album? He's only got three: um, Golden Grail, uh, the second track, and one other one. Is it Get Your Shit or something? Golden Grail is like the standout because it's like you'll yeah. never hear have drums. The best. That's <laughs> well. the best on there. That's one of the best beats on there. Um, who did the? There's one song that has whistling on it that I don't really like in terms of because I don't really like whistling. That's one of the ones. Oh, where the thing like, you know, one or, or Russian hatwear or something. I, I need to bring it up. Hang on. 
Uh, I think it might be get your shit of Russian hotwear. Yeah. One of the because they kind of mirror each other, right? Like they kind of have like similar sort of hooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it might be the. I think it might be Russian hatwear. Um, I think yeah, it's it's a good it's a it's a good album. It's not as I don't know. It's what also what kind of reminded me of a little bit was um this might seem like a weird comparison, but Joey Badass is nineteen ninety nine. And okay. then it kind of felt like it was something out of time. And it's not as overtly tribute as that, but it also feels like it came out like it came out 10 years late, but it feels that seems like a backhanded compliment considering a lot of the things I've said about Joey Badass. But I think <laughs> does this compare <laughs> like style? Yeah, I... They're not they're not aesthetically similar, like in what they're doing, really, like and what they're calling back to was not similar at all. Really, mm-hmm. and the styles of rapping on it aren't similar, but just that feeling of some an album out of time. Yeah, yeah, and, like and a, kind of the posse cut feeling when it kind of reminds me of the last song on 1999 Suspect, which is probably one yeah. of the best Joey Badass songs. Yeah, for sure. Even though that's throwing back to like Native Tongue sort of era stuff, which is not the sort of East Coast stuff this is th- calling back to at all. Right. Mm. I don't know. Also, one thing I want to just mention about the album, which I find hilarious, is that. Um, P Money, who's like a prolific New Zealand producer, he's on the album. He does the cuts on um, Golden Grail, and he has oh. like a spoken spoken interlude, and it's oh, just yeah, really jarring. He does that little like, shout out thing. He does that really shout out thing, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. his cuts are pretty impressive on that. Actually, oh like, yeah, he he was a BMC, um, champion at one point, I think. So, well, shout out to P Money. Yeah. Um, that's just really funny hearing this really like thick New Zealand accent on this like incredibly New York album, you know. <laughs> I think uh, Shakedown's a pretty tough track too. That was yep. probably my favorite track on the second half because I think mm. the second half isn't quite as good as the first half, but like because I think it's really strong up through Golden Grail and then yep. it's a bit of a lull, but then Shakedown and the last th- and the last two after that are pretty strong. And also, um, the the last track. Um, it cuts off early, like it has like a bit of trade off, and then like the the song kind of fades out. There's a longer version of that. There's like a, a mixtape um, called World Domination because I think there was some issue where the album got leaked early or something, so they had to like adjust the track list. But if you look up World, World Domination, there's like more UN stuff. A lot of the tracks that are on that album, and then like some other extended versions and stuff. So um, might be something to worth looking into. No, I, I'll check for that because I like this shit. I'll definitely. There was a single with Pete Rock too, I believe, uh, that I don't recall. Yeah. I that wasn't on here. That wasn't on here. I think it was like a promo single. I thought. I don't. I'm not seeing it on. Uh, I think it's Long Time Coming. I think that's the name of the Pete Rock single, maybe. Which I think is on the deluxe like reissue of um, You In or You Out. And I, yeah. I guess the UN did a single with Cameron and Bado in 2010. I do not remember that. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> I think it might have even been like, like a. Um, and that would have been an era. That would have been the era in which Cameron and Vado were putting out the Boss of All Bosses mixtapes, which I thought I heard all of. And this sounds like the song title actually sounds like something I've heard. So I wonder if this was just like a. But I do not remember uh, Brock Marciano ever being on a Cameron album. So no. or mixtape. So I did not listen to that. I will actually check for that because that that's an interesting. That would be an interesting. Um, Two of the most arrogant people to ever rap on the oh, yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, that would be the most quotable song of all time. <laughs> Unless they did a sex track together. Oh, yeah, no, no thanks. 
Um, and then, so did you, oh, Optimal, did you hear You Know You're Out or did you skip this one? Or? No, I, I did not. I think it was one of the few that I did not hear. In okay. the, in, it was given to me in the homework in Patrick's defense, but I did not. I did not get the chance to hear it prior to the episode. Yeah, well, I'm just saying anything for ten minutes. Oh, I kind of figured you didn't hear. I mean, I was I was letting you guys talk, like you know, it's, <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> also, no, just um, a quick um, shout out to I think uh, Mike Raw passed away like last year, so just you know, RIP to Mike Raw, um, who also later on I think had some co-production credits um, on Pimplaster X Back. So yeah this is a good album i would check for it like if you're into this general just style of like hard nosed group posse rap like uh it's got a little bit like mop side mop but more lyrical than that yep. or like generally i'm just a sucker for a good posse album because i think yep. that's good an easy way to as long as you have a good producer and one good rap like at least one good producer and one solid rapper to anchor everything a posse mm-hmm. album is like a pretty easy template to make a really satisfying listen for me and this there are no bad rappers on this one like mm-hmm. rock's a great rapper dino brave's a good rapper the other two are more than sufficient the production's yeah. really good it just it kind of just hits a very specific niche i don't know if i could really want to listen to more than one album from these guys right. like this but mm-hmm. they did this one very well yep so i guess that probably leads us into um strength and honor yeah, so I had actually never heard this whole thing until today. I had heard Allies Stand Up a lot. I love that song, but um, I'd never played this the whole way through for some reason. Um, I didn't get through the whole thing because I was kind of cramming some stuff in at the end, and I forgot about this one specifically. But um, it's it's cool. Like you don't really hear Rock do too many mixtapes. Like there's the J Love one, which I didn't listen to. There's Pimp Buyer, yeah. which we'll get to. So yeah, like yeah. you have that, that's his modern style. This is him in the old style and older style. Like he does like typical mixtape shit. Like he goes over the dead presidents to beat. Yeah. Like, you know, but he's doing it again with a lot more. It's interesting that I feel like in, in the same sort of uh two thousand mid two thousands mixtape like New York underground scene, he and Ma yeah. Comic were doing the same shit. Like mm-hmm. these two, two have become like so much more prominent, doing weirder, mm-hmm. more idiosyncratic stuff. We're just kind of they were there at this point and i don't know how people how aware people were of them yeah um i don't know i, f- I feel like yeah they were probably uh, it was like a very exclusive thing in terms of who actually knew who he was or who the un was at the time um another thing about this yeah there's one track on there i think knots produced and it's just like the most 2000s mixtape beat like you know those real kind of synthy kind of sound um, that one really like stood out to me as sounding from that mixtape era. Um, I can't remember what it was though. It was like maybe the third or fourth track. Yeah, this one I got like halfway through, and it's a good listen. It's not as essential as like if you're gonna listen to one of the early rock projects, I would listen to you any year out before this yeah, one. Yeah, sure. It's this one's still cool, like, but it's a little more faceless. It's just kind of rock, and sometimes Dino just doing like you could tell this was a lot more off the cuff, not as written, yep. not as crafted. A lot of jack beats on here, or some jack beats on here, I should say. And it's still worth hearing if you're a completist, but yeah. it's not essential. And there's also, uh, you hear a bit of Rock doing like double time flows as well on a couple of the tracks, which is, he's quite good at actually, I think. So, I mean, he'll still speed up like even today, like he'll, he'll fit it oh, in. Yeah. But like the thing yeah. is, he doesn't do it in like a sort of 
like Buster Rhymes, like the dude who signed right. him, like where it's like a showy centerpiece of his verse. Like he'll put it in there when it makes sense or when he wants to like add color to something. Like he knows how to like deploy every like he's got a lot more in terms of I'm trying to think of the right way to put this and not sound like a pretentious asshole, but I'm probably gonna sound like a pretentious asshole, so fuck it. Like a lot more in his toolbox as a rapper than I initially thought. Mm-hmm. Because it's easy to write him off as just being monotone, drug rapper, kind of sounds like Raekwon, like, doesn't really. But really, the more you listen to his stuff in sequence, you realize how much he varies himself up project to project, yeah. song to song, what he chooses to go over. Yeah. And just very creative, very idiosyncratic, very mm-hmm. nuanced, very fucking funny, too. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, hilarious. I want to bring up, like, I, I don't want to lose, like, the sight of the fact that some of his punchlines, like, the one I kept thinking about on Chaos, Chaos has been the one that's been living in my car. Kind of the reason that I pushed the episode is because I put, um, like, that ended up in my car as, like, a go-to listen while I was moving over the past month, so I spent a lot of time in my car, and it seemed like good cold weather music, and it is. He has yeah. some line about, you need to, like, be in a blimp to get, like, a view of my hairdo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a view of my hairdo. <laughs> right after he compares himself to, like, a young Hasselhoff. Like, some of the lines... <laughs> And, like, the way he delivers these lines in, like, the coldest, like, murderer's monotone makes it even better to me. Yeah, me, me and my friends, we came up with, like, a Rock Marcy drinking game where it's, like, the rules are, like, you drink when he compares himself to someone he doesn't look like. Um, <laughs> talks about, like, splitting, like, your head like it's a fruit, you know, like, split your pear or, like, your melon. Melon. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. You know, like, there's, there's certain things that he kind of always goes back to, but I just always like it for some reason, you know, like... <laughs> Just, yeah. Sometimes it's, makes jarring, inappropriate references to his Islamic faith right after he says something completely sacrilegious or does something yeah. particularly gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also a fan of talking about things that are the color of things, kind of like Jaden yeah. talks about the color of cars. Yeah, that's another one, for sure. Yeah. But that would all be in the future, because he's still, on this tape, he's still, like, He's developing his personality, but I can't really point out to any punchlines nearly that distinctive around this time period. No, the only the only line that sticks out to me is when he says Seinfeld money on the line when I sign deals. I always think about that line. But that's, that's a good line. That that is a yeah. very good line. But yeah. but then so his next so I guess his first big real breakout in terms of people I was talking about people noticing him, definitely somebody noticed Dreddy Kruger from Wu Tang family mm-hmm. noticed him. Because he put him on the Think Differently compilation in 2005 or six. I'm going to look up yep. and say seven and make me look really stupid. But in the mid-2000s, the Wu-Tang versus the Indies compilation, which was something that meant a lot of your following indie rap at the time. I remember everybody complained about it because it didn't have their favorite. It, there wasn't enough Wu-Tang on there or didn't have their favorite indie rappers on there. But I think overall, this project is like a good compromise project in terms of what it, like trying to break certain types of rappers to like an audience that's going to pick up anything that has Wu-Tang on it back when that name was still carrying a little more weight. Like it didn't have nineties cachet with it, but fish scale had just come out. Ghostface was carrying the name out. Like it had a minor Renaissance at the time. Mm -hmm. So there was, it was a good way to platform a lot of MCs and rock steals the fucking show. Yeah. His verse for sure. Makes the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I suppose as well, kind of going off of that, he has a um, beat and an appearance on um, Pro Tools, Jizz's album. 
Yeah, I don't remember that at all, which is weird. Yeah. Probably because I've scrubbed, even though I paid for it with my own money. I mentioned this on the show before. <laughs> when I couldn't make rent in summer of 2008, I bought both Digi Snaps and Pro Tools. Somehow. <laughs> and I feel like they owe me a combined like thirty dollars to fucking. We, like, we call kid. that we call that the struggle summer. For that Patrick. was a struggle summer because <laughs> I had to eat. See, I could I could barely eat raisin bran all week because I but I still spent fucking thirty dollars <laughs> off to subpar Wu-Tang CDs from washed up RZA and Jizza. Yeah. Yeah, like Pro Tools again. Um, I don't really remember the rock verse on that, but also when I first heard the cover verse, I thought he sounded like DMX. So my initial fucking impression, yeah, I don't, I don't know where. How, how did you get that? I don't know. All right. So basically, yeah, he's, he's know. like, Carl's verse on that is a lot more guttural um, and like shouty. Um, it's, it's like his in-between, you know, like, his old, old stuff where he was quite shouty and then to him kind of progressing into um, grief pedigree. This is not, yeah, like this is definitely his older style, which there isn't very much record of out there. To be fair, like if you're thinking of like Honor Killed the Samurai, Descendants of Kane, Ka sounding like DMX, this Ka doesn't sound like that. But he still doesn't no. really sound like DMX. It was a lazy, it was not a great comparison. But the rock, but that, I mean, I gotta get that's more Wu-Tang association for rock. Hmm. I don't really remember the verse that much, so you'll have to speak to that because I didn't. Yeah, really I don't remember well either. Fucking um, but I think I read that he had limited time to write it. Like maybe he wrote it in the taxi to the studio, something like that. So it's like a pretty brief verse. I think he did the beat for it, um, and then he produced the Firehouse song, which is the car song. So that is actually the first proper, I suppose, car rock Marcy collab. And I reckon that song's a, a fucking banger. But no, that song's way better than I gave it credit for. Ignore my RYM review. Mm. And it's got Firehouse. It's like Kyle right away, like on his big platform, is immediately making reference to, you know, makes that makes that New York Post article look even that much more stupid. I think I've referenced yeah. this before. Is that yeah. like, you know, his first big breakout song, he is referencing his, his quote-unquote double life as a fireman. They weren't doxing yeah. anybody, so. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, so those were his big breakout moments. And then, again, did he do anything between of note, really, between um, the Pro Tools and like the Wu-Tang stuff and then Mark Well, Ford. I think um, Snow from Marsburg actually came out in 2008 or 2009. Like, it was, it was on blogs. Um, well, the version that I always saw floating around, which is superior to the album version, is a remix with Sean Price. Right, yeah. Yeah, so that I don't know if that's actually after... the original, and the album is the remix, which could be possible. Yeah, so the original is the solo track, which would have been oh. um, on blogs, and then um, the deluxe version of Marsberg has the Sean Price feature on it and mm. um, a few other extra tracks. So yeah, so um. basically, Marsberg when it came out was hailed as this throwback to because you have to think about like what was like 2010 still pretty maximalist mm -hmm. like glossy rap and as usual everybody said new york is dead as long as i can remember always everybody's always saying new york yeah. rap is dead which right. is probably accurate because for the most part new york rap doesn't do anything exciting anymore mm -hmm. and but this was getting a lot of blog buzz like i said it got mentioned i'm pretty sure in the top very high on the passion of the weiss list it was getting hype on smoking section which is all i really needed to hear and mm -hmm. i listened to it and it didn't grab me. I let it sit for a while. And then it came out with a version with the instrumentals. And the instrumentals yeah. are great. Like, yeah. They are the best. It's pretty much the best DJ Premier album that Premier never did. And when you think of DJ Premier, like, 
producer, like DJ Premier Warship and producers, you think of stuff like Static Selecta or like there's a very obvious like Premier template that people do. And Rock's not really doing that, but he nails the mood so well. He knows right. how Premier's drums sound and how to like loop, how Premier's loops sound. That's mm. what's most important. And it sounds cold, like in terms oh, of yeah. winter cold. That's a quintessential winter album for sure. To to me, the production sounds like a mix of the infamous and only built for uh, excuse me, only built for Cuban links. I mean, I I hear the infamous in it a lot. I don't hear as much RZA stuff as you do, but I hear a lot of Premier Circa Group Home and uh, mm. the Sun Rises in the East Jero. Like yes. those are the those are the touchstones I hear in the production. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you on this. Really. I thought that. My opinion of it's improved a little bit, but it's still one of my least favorite of his. That said, uh, Panic and Thug's Prayer, two of his best songs, Smack in the Middle with Snow right there as well. Yeah. It's pretty fucking homophobic, distractingly so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just an unfortunate aspect of this music, for sure. Um, I can get around it with most of his albums, but not this one. Right. Um, just just quickly on, on Panic. What do you say? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, on Panic, I'm convinced that that uh, inspired the numbers on the boards there. Oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to bring <laughs> yeah. that up. Yeah. Well, Where do you guys think that? Yeah, numbers on the boards, like, well, first of all, it's debated whether or not that was Kanye's beat or Don Cannon's beat anyway. But whoever mm. made that beat pretty much just stole the shit out of the, out of the panic beat. You don't reckon it's a coincidence? You reckon it was intentional? I don't know. Kanye's had a lot, had a, more than a few beats where he's taken some shortcuts. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of other examples of that, but mostly it's just not crediting a collaborator or <laughs> not or a sample, which I'm not going to shit on producers for not crediting their samples because every producer tries to get away with that. But I'm trying to think of a direct where it's like he heard a beat and plagiarized it because this sounds close to plagiarism. Right. Like really, and Kanye gets away with that in some ways where it's like he throws in the Jay-Z scratch. That's him doing something different. That's kind of something he does in collaborations where it's like he gets to call it a collaboration because he put the opera bit in ham. (laughs) Right. So he puts that at the end, and now it's a Kanye beat, too. So it's like he takes the Panic beat and chops up a Jay-Z verse a little bit in the scratch, and now it's a Kanye beat. I mean, it mm. sounds a little different. It sounds That's... a little... I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not excusing... I, I don't know. I don't think he... When I heard it, I didn't think, like, oh, the numbers on the board straight ripped it. Like, obviously, I, I hear the, the similarity. do 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 yeah, no, it's the yeah. same. It's the loop. Like I, I get it's the that. Noise as well, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just to me, but I don't know. I th- the songs have such a different energy to me. But then again, I haven't really thought about it. Song the song side by side. So that's that's fair. I mean, it's I, I don't hear like what was the Kanye beat that that he stole with the Adam and Eve whatever on the Nas album. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a mess. That was that was a little more obvious to me when I heard the original. I um on a similar note as well, the um the beat for, is it White Label on the Nas yeah, Kanye album? It's a great beat. That to me sounds like a rock beat. Hmm. But I don't know. Um, I, that's that's the, the 
that and Cop Shot the Kid are the only two songs that I would say I really, really like from that Nas album. Was, oh, God. Yeah. Um, that just reminded me of... I, I said I wasn't going to talk about the Eminem album at all ever again. Oh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but you just triggered me because Cop Shot the Kid has the line about calf kneeling, which is a great line when it's delivered. And the Eminem album has a line about calf kneeling, which is in reference to somebody giving him a blowjob. Yes. Did you? Okay. Okay. So on Twitter, I saw a screen cap of the the orange and banana line, or whatever the fuck. The orange, or no, 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 no. I don't know what you're it, talking about. Yeah, I think orange so, rhyme with banana. Yeah, I, I can make I can make orange rhyme. Oh, I can make orange rhyme with banana. No, bitch, I can make an orange rhyme with banana or or I can't even fucking do the dumbass part because it's so funny. <laughs> oh my god. No, it's the it's a parade of dad jokes. It's He literally said this man said Orin Orana. Oranana <laughs> with two ends. It is like one thing that I got a great i had so much of an appreciation more for rock marciano as a rapper after listening to that eminem album because eminem is like a <laughs> as the greatest rapper at this point it's like a parody of fucking rap music right yeah just, i mean it's just, honestly unreal yeah i i'm trying to call the thing is i think my brain did do a good job blocking out because i listened to it in the car on the way back from the grocery store today i don't know why i trapped myself in the car you think i would have learned after what happened with the clown albums how mad i got <laughs> when i was trapped in the car with those but this was just as bad as the clown albums ironically enough because they were dissing eminem on those albums and like i just there were at least 10 separate points where i just yelled shut the fuck up <laughs> fuck off I, I i can't believe like I was so angry. I was like legitimately angry at some of the fucking dad jokes he was making. And at one point he's like, I'm just trolling. And it was after he wanted said something about use like some sort of rectal thermometer joke. Like, it's like, I'm just trolling. My argument about trolling is that it says more about the person who spends that much effort trolling like that, than it does the person who gets trolled by it. Mm-hmm. And the fact, and this is just, there's so much. Was, was there, okay, I, I saw another screen cap on Twitter, and I don't know if this is a real line, because as I said in the chat, I did not listen to this album, I just gave it one star based on principle. Um, <laughs> however, is there a real line, quote, you ever heard of Chris Christopherson? Yes, yeah. Well, yes, I am, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I am pissed, pissed off for six. Yes. yes, it is a lie. I want to. I, I, I wish I, it wasn't. I, that was one of the times I yelled, "Oh God damn it!" in the car. That's that's also in a Melvin song. No, I don't think Eminem, I don't think Eminem is listening to. And then he said, uh, yeah. "Yeah, yeah." Chris Christopherson is a country singer, and so he's like, "You've heard of Chris Christopherson? Well, I'm pissed, pissed offerson." <laughs> oh, just hang it up, him. Hang it up, please. And then he has like one song about how much he loves hip hop. Like he has a song about how hip hop's a woman that he can't leave alone. He's in an abusive relationship with them. So it combines two of the worst, tiredest fucking song tropes ever, which is an Eminem relationship song and hip hop personified as a woman song. Um, yeah, it's it's fucking brutal in every well, regard. Also, also the song is called Tone Deaf, <laughs> which. I- and it has, it has one, like, I guess that's meta because it has one of the worst beats ever. But it's like <laughs> haunting you on the beat. Like, you know, I can't hear you because I'm tone deaf. 
it's so childish. And like, <laughs> even raps about how I'm like 48 years old, and then it's like the five O's coming up on me, and then it's like some corny joke about the cops coming up on him. There are some socially conscious lines on there too, which are you know great when they're next to like pee pee and doo doo jokes that cool kids <laughs> would say are too juvenile. Also, so the line that you were talking about was Eminem said he would fuck your mom with a with a rectal thermometer or something yeah. like that, in or, or or in the ass with a thermometer or something like that. That's the. That's I mean, we're the people he's talking about though. At a good third of the album, where he's just fucking crying about the internet, like so yeah. much of the album is devoted to just bitching about people who don't like his music on the internet. God, what a! I don't even know what you even like. What is the point? Why Why did this happen? Like, you know, the the original album was, like, bad enough, but it had yeah. some scheming stuff to it. This is just, like, dog shit. It's really... I don't know who it's for. It's embarrassing. Like, I actually was listening to it in my basement when I was, like, moving groceries, and I had to, like, turn it off because I was, like, afraid people were going to hear it associated <laughs> yeah. with music. I just moved to this neighborhood. I can't have people thinking that I listen to this shit. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would rather hear them hear Rock Marciano talking about how the harlot's pussy farted. (laughs) Because at least they're like, damn, that beat's hard as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I might not agree what he has says about harlot's pussies, but that instrumental goes. That's so good. Hey, his voice sounds dope, though. Oh, that's another thing about Eminem's voice is so horrible. Oh, so no more Eminem talk. No more Eminem talk. I was just triggered by the fucking line about Cat, like the thing about. Well, I, it's okay because I was going to bring him up earlier when you said the, <laughs> when you said about Busta, and I was going to say, did Busta or Eminem create the, the thing where like you're waiting for their verse and it's like, oh shit, it's the M verse or like it's the Busta, but like, and then they just you know. I think going, it was Busta actually. I'm pretty sure that Busta they, was the. They original, go on like, like king. Yeah. entirely too long. Yeah. And I've yeah. never been that impressed with Busta Rhymes, to be honest. Have you listened to The Coming? Mm, probably the Become. Uh, no, that's the Beyonce album, The Coming. Um, yeah, it's like Bonnie Sucks album. Yeah, no, I listened to it way back when I was trying to listen to all the essential stuff, and I never really, and it didn't move me that much. And I found yeah. him mostly annoying on old on the tribe stuff I heard him on. So, and I, I always thought "Woo Ha, I Got You All in Check" was annoying when I was a kid, and it was on MTV all the time. Like, I get stuck in my head, which I'm sure that's sacrilege. <laughs> I appreciate the song more now, and I appreciate mm-hmm. what Busta's done. But as a rapper, it's just like I never thought he was like an all-time great. I thought he was kind of a novelty. Okay. Hot take, I know. <laughs> Um, I was actually going to interrupt your Eminem thing before regarding personifications and rap music because Marsberg has uh, Jungle Fever, which extends the white girl cocaine um, double entendre for an entire song. Cam would actually later do that on White Girl, but he wouldn't be a. Like, that's the thing about Marciano is that he's very he's like street level hard but he's also very calculated in his writing yeah absolutely um the thing i like about marsberg is it's kind of like the come up album you know like it's he's uh it's it's him has him doing shit to kind of to get to where he would you know eventually be from 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 reloaded um it's it's the kind of album i think i read where at, at the time it was like 
for him a lifetime of digging for samples to make <laughs> that Danny album. Like, you know, that kind of thing. So I quite like that there's that um, story behind it in that sense. I mean, I feel like for his character, his career arc, and also the rap persona that he's come up with, it is a good origin story album, like mm. a debut album. But I feel like it's almost crafted in a way where it's supposed to be like his Illmatic, and it never hit me like that. But again, I think that the two or three classic tracks on here are worth it. And the only thing that really turns me off about it at this point is that there's like whole skits devoted to homophobic shit, and that he just like seems to lean on that one insult a lot. It's distracting, and but I can get past that musically. It's also, it's just not I feel like uh, Thug's Prayer is effectively the song that really set the template for his kind of like atmospheric kind of drifting beats, you know, like where this. Uh... Well, what, do you think there's anything on here that really um, predicts the drumless sort of sound he would have later on that he gets? Thug's Prayer. And also, uh, that's a crime a little bit where it's just like the um, vocal sample the whole way through. And that's actually, that song there is one of the reasons why it reminds me of RZA because this is like a very specific thing. But if you listen at the very end of the song, you hear him fuck up the loop, like it goes out of time or something. And that's just very um, like 95 RZA production type stuff. Um, so yeah, just that kind of small detail there. Um but yeah, and you know, this other stuff like I suppose pops like a, a storytelling track, and um, what else is on there? Uh, yeah, it's just kind of stuff that's it seems a little bit more like autobiographical instead of just like this kind of outlandish crime boss figure, which I suppose he becomes after this album. Yeah, he definitely evolves the character, uh, the persona into a character after this. Like Reloaded is definitely the evolution of him into a mob boss, and then. Mm with the Rosebud albums, it gets to straight up theatrical levels. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of intended as like another like side story movie. It has its own theme and everything. So. And also something else. Um, do you know what version you listen to of this album? Cause there's one with hide my tears. That's like the original pressing, um, but that got removed for sample clearance on the deluxe. So did you, do you recall I hearing that? Song? Um, I did not hear the one that had had my tears on when I re-listened to it because I was listening to it on Spotify. I don't believe that has it on Spotify. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But I did have the original that's easily available on Soulseek, and that's the one I heard initially as well. Because High My Tears is one of, in my opinion, one of the best uh, closing tracks to a rock album. Um, yeah, his closing tracks don't always hit for me. I don't really like the one that closes on, but. Then again, you also have something like what closes. Is it Marcia Lago that he ends um, by going to P.F. Chang's and not paying? Uh, it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> That's what? Which one is that? Behold a Dark Horse. Behold a Dark Horse, yeah. Right. Or, or Pale Horse, I thought it was. Yeah, where, um, yeah, Consigliere. Consigliere. Hmm. But, um, um, also, what did you think of the car verse on Maspberg on We Do It? I thought it was very good. Again, like the early stuff with Ka is more aggressive. I think that it, I think Ka in general would keep dialing back his style and dialing it back over time. But mm -hmm. they've already got that chemistry where it's like Rock's going to spit hard street shit and Ka's going to spit introspective stuff. Right. And I think that's just like incredible, an incredible dynamic. 
that we're, it's a shame that we're never going to get the fucking iron clergy out. Metal clergy. Yeah, man. What the hell? Hurry up. <laughs> Need that shit. That's up there with a swift and changeable in vaporware heaven. <laughs> yeah, did you see cards in a tweet where he was like, he just listed all of their collabs and he's like, I think you've already got the album, guys. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I was actually thinking about putting together, I'm sure people have already done this, just putting them together in a playlist of all their, all their collaborations. Hmm. And the, I wouldn't be surprised if it did like actually thread together as an album because that's the same. That's the sort of stuff they would do. Ka especially because Ka is very like every time I listen to his music, there's something new that I notice in it, and the way he yep. writes it, and the way he sequences it. Mm-hmm. Almost why we haven't done a Ka episode yet is because I'm too intimidated by his material. I don't think I could do it justice. <laughs> yeah, yeah I agree. I, I kind of, I kind of lose words talking about Ka's music. I talked about this in our uh, meteor episode all those uh those months ago but like how i love descendants of cain so much but it's just kind of like i would be reduced to you know very hollow like praise buzzwords and just talking about it because like, one thing i um, i'm sorry to cut you off but one no. like, stuff that I, he puts so much work in his music that i didn't notice he has the one track um you know what it's about which is um based on a Black Sabbath sample. I didn't know it was a Sabbath sample. And then if you listen to all of his lines, they have all these religious references in them about the Sabbath and the street, like, you know, his parish. And I didn't even notice that. That's, like, so fucking brilliant. I I mean, I already loved the song. I thought the wordplay on it was great already, but then knowing that it's all based upon what he was sampling makes it ten times better. Hmm. That's crazy. I didn't know that either. But I haven't really listened to much. That's on the light scan, but hey... I haven't like listened to the Night's Gambit as much as his other albums for some reason. So yeah, Night's Gambit is definitely Night's Gambit and Yen Lo are my favorite car albums. Mm. And that's no disrespect to Honor Killed the Samurai or Descendants of Cain, which I think are both excellent, but I haven't given them as much listening time. They haven't. That's funny. Those are those are my two favorites: Descendants of Cain, Honor Killed the Samurai. My favorite is probably um, Orpheus versus the Sirens. And that's probably my third. It's top. Those are my top three. That, that would be my third favorite. Although Grief Pedigree, like, was one that I really got got me into him. I think Grief. I listened to that around the same time as Night's Gambit, and so I want to give that proper credit. But Orpheus versus the Sirens, the way he writes around like whole album concepts, nobody else does that, and hmm. I don't think anybody else could do some of the shit he does conceptually and not have it be incredibly forced or corny or just tedious to listen to. Um, right. Just to, to, to something as well that I think it's worth bringing up is that um, so you know people complain about Car and Rock. The one of the main complaints is lack of drums, but it's the same deal with both Marsberg and Grief Pedigree, where both of those albums have a lot of drums on them. So like, if you are coming from that mindset, I would recommend listening to those albums first and then kind of easing into the the kind of drumless sound because yeah, on both of these albums, pretty prevalent on you know the majority of the tracks yeah i don't think rock really gets into the weirder drumless shit like there's weirder moments on reloaded but i don't think it's until rosebud that you really start seeing him i mean i get i don't really well, i didn't really listen to uh marcy boku for this one so maybe there was weirder shit on there too but i don't really recall that but mm. i would say that rosebud is probably where it starts getting super weird like where he starts having the really left field type of beats i would say yeah 
yeah, it's like very psychedelic, um, that kind of era of rock music, the kind of 2017-2018 range. I mean, well, anything else to say about Marsburg, or, or do we want to move on to Reload? Well, th- was this around, well, Poltergeist was in between. And was, where yes, was Greenberg and also uh, Greenberg. On this, by the way, Greenberg with uh, Gangrene. Yeah. Um, so do we want to discuss Greenberg first? or? Yeah, we should do Greenberg because we talked about the psychedelic uh, aspect, and that's probably the most overtly psychedelic thing he's ever been on because that's their whole aesthetic and their whole approach. Yeah. And he fits it we- incredibly well. Mm. Like, I mean, him and Alchemist always work super well together. So um, just it, it's hard. Like, it doesn't really feel like it's a collaboration in the best sort of way where it doesn't feel like either side is making concessions to the other, but they're all equally influencing each other's music, all three of them. Because I hear elements of all three in the production. And rap-wise, I think, you know, no one's ever going to say, oh, oh no, or Alchemist is their favorite MC, I don't think. But I think they both step it up when they have rock rock around, I would say. Yep. Although I think the MCing on Gang Green is generally pretty un- underrated. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah one of my I, favorite- I, think you, I think you come here, though, for the beats first and foremost. Like, and what rock can do over the beats. Because... I mean, how many, I mean, I had just recently heard this, like very recently, this is like the homework I did and it's like Alchemist is such a, is one of, you know, one of my favorite producers in this lane. Um, and I think rocks just voice is tailor made for a lot of these, these beats. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, it's, it's a good project. They kind of just, they kind of just do what they do. But a lot of times you don't really need much more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I um, guess you're not... No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jaws on this album, the, um, the last track where it flipped. Does it flip the Jaws theme, or is it something similar to the Jaws theme? I don't know. Let's see if it's on who sampled. But um, I really like Mama Told Me, the initial one, the way uh, Rock comes into that with, like, I'm rolling... I'm rolling. Yeah. Like his melodic flow on that is like really cool. Really. It's like one of his more relaxed sort of flows, I guess. And it's just like, he's just bragging on it, but he makes everything sound really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's like deliberate. Like you're not getting like his, his approach on this is not nearly as hard rapping as it was on Marsburg. Yeah, for sure. But it, uh, it fit, it fits the instrumentals. Like, it kind of it kind of predicts a little bit of the sort of stuff he would rap over in the more psychedelic era with like you know behold a dark horse uh rosebud and um also i guess the mugs collab too because some of this stuff like i feel like a lot of what alchemist and ono did with gangrene is influenced by like mugs psychedelic rock production style yeah sure um and i also love the line um this ain't Kid Cuddy, this is G-Shit Gully. That just oh, cracks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just a way he spits out his punchlines on this that just sound, like, really just, like, mean, and but mm. also, like, very competent. So I guess the only who sampled we get is, uh... No, we don't get anything for Jaws. They only have something for one track on here, unfortunately. It sounds like the Jaws thing, but yes, I don't know. I don't know if you could actually get that cleared, so maybe. Yeah, that's not something as well. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else about this album we want to discuss? Or not? Not really. I mean, I kind of. It's 
I'm struggling. I've listened to it a ton, but I'm struggling to think of any like great quotables from it. Mm-hmm. Although they're there. Yeah. I don't know. I, the problem is I've listened to so much rock lately that the, the quotables sometimes blend together. So I yeah. really have like, cause that is one thing about his music is some of it does sound the same. Like if you listen to a lot of it in a clump, although <laughs> there is a definite, like I would never say, like, I feel like he does sometimes get the criticism. He makes the same album over and over. And I would strongly, strongly disagree with that. Yeah. Same. For example, reloaded, which yeah. I think is the perfect, like follow up to your big breakout debut album and that it refines everything great about the original to a science. Yeah. Was this also uh, the start of uh, the start of the knowledge, the pirate collabs? Yeah. I don't, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they collab before this one. He actually, he shouts them out on that um, strength anonymous set. I noticed. So they obviously knew each other back then, but yeah, that's their first, I guess. I mean, his verse is good, but it's definitely not like, you know, Kaz verses are obviously this way more standout, mm. particularly on Nine Spray. Although Not Told is great, but I, I don't think the album really gets going. Like, you know, Flash Gordon's amazing. Uh, it's one of my favorite Alchemist beats. That's one of their best collaborations. But I don't think it really truly gets going to Thug's Prayer Part 2, which has somehow three beat switches. Yeah, yeah. And, um, if you listen to the actual song that that samples, it's the it's the case of just rock, which he does quite often. He just takes a big chunk from the song, doesn't like treat it or anything, and just raps over it. So it's like a, I don't know, like a bridge on that particular song, which is him revisiting the same sample, um, obviously from the first uh, Thug's Prayer. Well, that was just amazing loop pulling. Then in that case, because it just fits perfectly, and it's like an incredible performance in his case that he's able to flow over it so well, like so effortlessly. And that goes into 76, which is probably my favorite rock song. I think it's like the ideal Rock Marciano song, especially if you watch it with the uh, Nick Goldwatch video that came out yeah, with it. Is. Just so fucking perfect. Just mm. cold weather music in every way. Like the way he delivered, like he goes for nearly five minutes straight, no hook. And like it has this, the beat sounds like cold winter air. Yeah. Um, I was, um, a couple of years ago, I used to work at a supermarket and the, the song that that samples like played on the supermarket radio, <laughs> my head exploded. I was like, oh my God, he sampled this? Like, this is, this is bananas. <laughs> um, what was it? It's a 10cc song called I'm Not In Love. Uh, 10 C- yeah, I think Mad Lib has sampled them a lot before. Yeah, too, it's been so. sampled by a few people, but I think that, um, Rock does it the best. He, I don't know. He, he does like the the best like job at making it really atmospheric. Um, it ha- it almost feels a little bit like um, it's not as minimal, but it kind of feels like a boom bap or '90s hip hop, like New York hip hop style version of like Bird on a Wire, kind right. of. Mm. And then the way it just establishes this like this atmosphere to it for like i'm trying to find the right adjectives for it but it's so atmospheric and the way he comes into it where it's like he's authoritative without ever raising his voice or changing his cadence and then he has so many like lines that are just like the way he delivers them is like the delivery is the dry delivery is what gives them their impact like with a ball get squeezed on (laughs) (laughs) but he makes it work so well 
Yeah, this is when he's, he starts to get quite outlandish with his, like, phrasing of things, you know? Where, oh, yeah, where he's, he says you a meatball gets squeezed on, he keeps the food theme going when he says he's going to turn yeah. your whole physical to cream corn. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one of my favorite lines in this album is on Deeper when he says, um, I copped the coat in Mongolia and spark, spoke harmonious at the podium. Like, what does that <laughs> even mean? <laughs> and, of course... Um, Spit the chorus to stimulate the horse clitoris to taste like porridge. Just phrases, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Like, um, I think yeah, he, he my favorite track on, on this. Oh, sorry. There's like one, there will be one song we get to where he doesn't get to skate anymore. But I let Rock get away with a lot of gross sex lines just through the virtue of his charisma and dry humor. Right. Hmm. I mean, I think we all know what song I'm talking about. I won't spoil it, but I think we all know what song. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah. Um, sure. Thread Count on this album is one of the smoothest songs ever made by anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Q-Tip, absolutely like, ma- magnificent fucking instrumental. Um, I- I'm a big fan of Death Parade. I think Death Parade's my favorite track. Death Parade and Emeralds are my kind of two go-tos on this album. Yeah, I think Emeralds is like where the album should end, honestly, because I feel like the man is a little rambling and it's the weakest beat on the album. I mean, I get why it's like it, it ends like just kind of like on this triumphant note, but it doesn't feel like I mean, I guess Emeralds would feel a little anticlimactic as an album closer, but it's such a great dark beat and such great verses to it. I don't know. Like, it feels like the run from 76 all the way through Emeralds is just, or Thug's Prayer, really, all the way through Emeralds. is like a sprint of his best possible music. And then the man just feels kind of like it's supposed to be this like dramatic closing credits and it doesn't really yeah. work for me. It's a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, um, I do like the Rick James line on on the man though, and just the way the punchlines on it. It's yeah, but I don't know if it's like because he would do longer songs later on Rosebud that would work better for me, and he mm-hmm. would do like the sort of triumphant closer thing better that would work for me. But here it just it's not a bad song, but I don't think it earns kind of the gravity that it's trying to have. I think overall, it's pretty common to see people call this Rock's masterpiece, um, and it's. He listed it on, um, I think Noisy has that thing where like artists rank their records. He said this is his favorite one. Um, this isn't like 2018, so maybe he's changed his mind since. But um, it's definitely the most, like I think, sonically cohesive um, kind of cinematic sound. It's like it's like the mood album, I feel, in um, Rock's discography. Yeah, I, I can definitely get with that. I think it's got some of his... Like Patrick said, the quintessential rock songs, mm. like Flash Gordon. I was gonna say Nine Spray with Ka, um, and I would probably say Seventy Six too, and um, the the Q Tip track Threat Count. Yeah, those those mm. are my favorites. I listen to um, I listen to Seventy Six and and Flash Gordon a lot, like in the time when I was like really getting into rock. Cause I hadn't really heard much. Those songs were like familiar with me in terms of how they like sound. It's tough to explain. Like rock's appeal was like familiar. If you were into kind of, um, uh, uh, grimy or, you know, quote unquote, dusty or New York sound. But I heard rock before I heard Ka, And I heard like, their rocks brand and what became like the whole like drumless brand of 
you know, new age, like underground New York rap, like rock was the first I heard. So it was, it was familiar, but it was like wholly different and like really addicting stuff to, to listen to. I think Reloaded was like the start of me being like really into it. Cause this yeah. was the first, this was the first rock I heard. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So this was like a, definitely a big, a really, really good album, but still one of his best. I don't think I have a necessarily a favorite to be honest, but this is definitely one of his best. On some days, this is my favorite. I have another big contender for favorite that I'll get to. Uh, one track we we didn't get to talk about that I really lo- noticed on my realist and that I love was Peru, which has one of the stranger beats on here and has one of the few like actual like introspective details. First, he has a line on here where it's like, uh, uh, "Your little wave is just a splash in the pool, kid. Oh, Never yeah. mind the lesser kind. Do not cast bo- pearls before swine. Take it as a sign." That's straight up car right there. That's like street level knowledge type shit. But For then sure. he goes into. You may have heard it through the grapevine. It rained on the day that Marvin Gaye died. While we was in my father's gray sob, we sobbed. The feeling was odd. Like, mm-hmm. that's like a little autobiographical. Like, he, he's so sparing with the autobiographical details that when he drops them in like that, they have that much more potency. Yeah. And, like, sure. he's so good with the little details in those. Like, my father's gray sob. And the way mm-hmm. he raps, he's able to, rap, like, you know, thread sob into sob perfectly. Mm-hmm. Feeling was odd. Like... That's mm-hmm. like, you know, to go back to the bullshit Eminem album or whatever. Eminem does this like fucking assonant, like, you know, multi rhyming shit, syllabic rhyming shit all. And it's so meaningless. It's like he just beats you over the head with it and does it over and over. But then you listen to somebody like Rock who's able to do it with such artfulness mm-hmm. like and such precision. Because first of all, what makes the Eminem shit so unappealing and sloppy is that we were talking about how. Like, he got that Buster Rhymes privilege to just, you know, oh, you don't, 16 ain't enough. You can right. just go for fucking ever. And that just makes it so nobody remembers. Like, you go for four minutes, you know, no one's going to remember anything you said because you're just babbling the whole time. Like, Rock just very strictly structures the way he, like, writes his verses and very specifically picks weird, like, he, he's able to rhyme the same way over such completely different things. Like, when we get to the really weird shit, he'll rap over, like, uh, the Trent Truce track on the most recent album. Yeah. Or even, like, he's able, like, he's using a cadence he's used a million times before over a beat that no one else would ever think to rap over, period. Yeah. So it's just, like, the technical ability that he has is, but it's not boring because he's so funny. It's the outlandish shit he says, the fucking character he creates when he raps. Mm-hmm. It's not a hard Yeah, I think, character. to your point about the... Like, I think, I forget which one of you mentioned it, but it, the, the humor that Rock has, and even even the way he, like, offhandedly says, like, lines. Like, there's a, his feature on um, the West Side Gun Track this year, $500 Ounces, when he's, um, in his verse, he has so many different punchlines that he just, uh, basically, like, throwaways to him when he's on to the next thing. And those lines are, like, so funny like the part when he talks about the seats in the bends lenny kravitz skin (laughs) so fun get your get your wig spun like a tumbleweed in belize i get on the beat and bleed something something sacrifice to please deities like the way he just strings lines together is so fucking cool and effortless but also it's kind of hilarious like Mm. what he is saying um and it's like it's a combination of like I'm either walking away from a Rock Marciano verse just doing the permanent, like, scrunched up face, 
mm-hmm. or I'm doing like, the, or I'm kind of like laughing at something he, he said and not in like a laughing at him, but just mm-hmm. a laughing at like the wit and like how he can make something that isn't a joke or doesn't sound like a joke, like makes it funny, but he's not delivering it in a way where he's like setting it up and hammering you with a punchline. He's just kind of talking. Yeah. And it's like, he kind of knows when to pause and, and um, kind of, use the kind of air around him to to formulate those kind of lines you know like it's yeah, it's really impressive yeah and one of my favorite i've talked about it extensively on the show before one of my favorite things in hip-hop is like conversational flow and mm-hmm. i talk about it all the time with like people like gibbs and people like that but rock is like a different kind of conversational flow like it's like he's just talking versus mm-hmm. rapping but it's not like like Gibbs is like, to use as a, as an example, Gibbs on a song like Five Hundred Dollar Ounces, like it's kind of like, it's almost like you're on the phone with him, and he's talking and he's giving you like a a story and like you know, with like filled with like little intimate details and such, like um, crying about Kobe dying, like he watches the Lakers, something like that, mm-hmm. versus like Rock. He kind of, and I find this consistent on all his his records. It's more like those moments of uh, where he peels back the curtain, or to me anyway, few and far between. But when they hit, like they really hit, and then just in general, his general like persona and character are super interesting and like very i keep going back to like very just funny and mm-hmm. not in the way that like you're like i said before not in the way that you're laughing at him but in the way that you're just um you're laughing along with this like unique persona that he has created that's like some weird like 2010s version of like a raekwon and like is a hybrid i don't know how to describe it well i feel like the wu-tang comparison holds water in that one of the appeals of listening to a rock verse is that you get to un- like compared to like old wu-tang verses that you can unpack the slang and you find more to enjoy and once you feel once you hear what he's talking about at first you just enjoy it because it sounds dope to you you laugh at the punchlines you get he's just like a cool character but then like something compels you to look deeper into it because he's got some coded language in there and then unpacking that gives you a lot more to enjoy about it but he is just he is definitely part of like uh like i can see why he and bronson worked well together because they're both kind of informed by like that same sort of like 80s early 90s like low budget action movie like character like although i think rock stuff kind of goes like Bronson's very specifically in like that VHS action hero thing, like a little bit ironic. Whereas I think rock kind of draws back even further. Like obviously it's like seventies black exploitation films are a big <laughs> reference point for him, especially with empire and stuff. But like just some of the references he makes, like right now I'm looking at 20 guns and which has one of my favorite lines in here where he just talks about how Keith sweat sang at the wedding yeah. <laughs> drop in there. <laughs> and then he comes then later on, like I'm like Clooney and ghetto jewelry. Like whenever he talks about like makes like these increasingly like exaggerated comparisons of how handsome he is or like what a movie star he is. Like he he and Bronson both like to call themselves hunks, which I think is just a very funny way to refer to yourself. 
I mean, it's funnier with Bronson because Bronson looks like Bronson. But right. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, something else is going to sell it, but it's escaping me. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, any more discussion about this really would just be me like listing favorite lines over and over. Yeah. Like it's just like a yeah. front to back incredible rap performance. The production is the perfect backing for it. He has a way of having samples sound like loops that sound both clean and dusty. If that yeah. makes sense, like he picks like really dust, like really clean instrumentation and dirties it up. I guess that's the RZA influence there too. Mm. Like, um, just another thing about this album as well. Did, did you? This is a deluxe edition for this album with more yes. tracks. I heard, um, I heard the deluxe tracks. There's Weird a great shit. track, uh, "Paradise for Pumps." That beat is like so lush, so good. Um, that was and it's, Nick Rosebud, I think. Like that that mm-hmm. feels like some of the longer tracks on the back half of Rosebud. Yeah, for sure. Very layered instrumentation there. I yeah. thought uh, I shot the king as one of the weirder thing. Like definitely probably would be the weirdest thing on the proper album. The um, vocal sample on there. So I shot the king. Uh, the beat for that it's sampled from the same album of uh, Thug's Prayer. That makes sense. That yeah, makes it's sense. like a um, old psych rock band. Um, Damn, I really need to like dig into these, like what he's been sampling. There's a really cool uh, mix. I think it's on SoundCloud called um, "Sounds Like Porridge," and it's leading up to uh, might be just before Rosebud's Revenge, and it's it's like a mix of the samples and then the actual songs as well. And they kind of like play the sample into the song. Um, it's, it's really good listening um, if you want to kind of yeah. Sing yeah, the song. I love that sort of mix. One of my favorite mixes of all time is actually uh, it's called. Um, a journey into fresh digging. Lord Quaz meets himself, and it's uh, by DJ Trouble, who I don't know if he's done anything else. It's T R O U B L, no E, and it's worth seeking out. It's like Quasimodo songs and like Mad Lib songs in general, with like mixed back and forth with the original sample and the like the song that Mad Lib flipped it for. Mm. It's about an hour long. It's really great shit. I have it at five stars. Nice. And I strongly recommend it if you can find it. I have it on Soulseek if anybody's looking for it. But it was like circulated. It was like a free bullet. Like Stones, they actually put it up on their site back in the day. So okay. I don't know how they still feel about that. But mm. um, you know, it's worth it's worth hanging out. So I really like that style of mix. So I'll I'll definitely <laughs> check that one out when we get off the call. But yeah, so I don't want to stick on one album too long because this is already going on for quite a while, and right. it still has a million more albums to get to. Yeah. Uh, so there were Marsburg instrumentals, which we already talked about when we talked about Marsburg. So I guess Pimpire is next, or oh, uh, just real quick. Obviously, Poltergeist. Just want to shout out that song, oh, yeah. which around the same era. Um, that's like an arch druid beat, and they're obviously frequent collaborators. Um, Animos obviously uh, ended up doing an album with Car. Um, that's a great song. Just a shame it didn't make it onto an album, but fantastic. It perfectly on. Um, it would have fit in perfectly on Reloaded. And just another quick thing I want to mention as well. Um, there's another album that came out in 2013, I think, called Love NY. And it's um, Ray oh, West has yeah. been on this. Um, it's, it's kind of like a sunnier side to this kind of drumless kind of sound that uh, Rock was coming up with. But I just more want to mention it because there's another song there where um, Rock rhymes with Cool Keith, which obviously they ended up doing later on. So, um, yeah, just wanted to point that out. I have both their albums. I have not listened to the second one. I listened to the first one around the time that it dropped, and I, I remember enjoying it. 
Um, I'm not the biggest fan of every MC in the group, but I think, again, like I talked about earlier, Posse albums are a pretty easy sell for me. Yeah. Did Rock do all the production on that, or who did the production on that? No, it's uh, that dude, Ray West. He produced the whole thing. Oh, Ray uh, West. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ray yeah. West. It's real short. It's like, I think, just over half an hour. Um, but yeah, worth listening to for some more kind of rock stuff from, from this era. Um, if I recall, he was also part of another super group called Mars that only did one song, which was him, Saigon, Large Professor, and... Uh, Action Bronson. Action Bronson, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Easy most oh, Cormega. Sorry, Cormega. Cormega. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Even more New York. Just yeah. quintessentially New York. And it's actually, it was a solid song, and it felt like it was leading somewhere, but it never did. Like, they have one song announcing themselves as a group, and then they proceeded to do nothing as a group. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, yeah, the Love and Why album is on the higher end of the Cool Keith late career stuff. I know people tend to, you know, kind of pick and choose what they like from Keith's later career stuff, because some of it is not great. <laughs> cool Keith episode will take even longer than the Gucci episode. <laughs> Rot Sphinx have that one. Yeah, it seems that seems apropos. Um, you can tell yeah, us I get... he's not as good as like you know Soul or some Anacon rapper <laughs> like who has advanced the art form of hip hop through the original drumless rappers. I guess they were also beatless and talentless. But got him. Yeah, I, I I have to troll Sphinx once an episode to make sure he's paying attention. <laughs> as, as as you should, as you should, uh, Anacon slander always tolerated. I don't even, I don't even like despise Anacon. I'm I don't even like, remember. Like it just seems to get under his skin. So that's yeah. what I haven't even listened to the Anacon stuff in a long time. I do remember that I did not like Cloud Dead when I listened to it, but I have not listened to it in like 15 years. So maybe I'll like it now. I um, think Cloud Dead is the only thing that I did like from Anacons, uh, but. Like it was also a long time ago. It I mean, they also big... named an album like you know, "Advanced Music for the Advancement of Hip Hop" or something, yeah. which that is Very just the most insufferably fucking pretentious thing you could ever like. That's yeah, it's tough. Crawlingly pretentious. It's a tough look. It's a really tough look. <laughs> what are your What are your opinions on Anacon Thought Val? Uh, I don't really know much of it. I've only really heard um, yeah that Cloud Dead album, which I do enjoy. Um, sometimes I prefer listening to it as an instrumental album. Um, but yeah, I don't really know enough about them. I know about obviously when LP and Soul had their, their beef, which was kind of funny. Um, but, the diss tracks yeah. on that are pretty funny. Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, Sphinx did like hit me to that. Like the Linda Tripp diss track with the voicemail on it is quite funny. Yeah, but. Yeah. So, yeah, so we can move on from for rock uh, from Love NY to uh, Empire Strikes Back. I believe is the next one. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back and Marcy Boku, I think came out like a few months apart, maybe in twenty thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, not not much to talk about in my opinion with Marcy Boku, but I don't know if you guys have different takes. Yeah, I haven't listened to it that much, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, we can just knock that out real quick because I didn't listen to it again for the episode and. It's just it's his, it's his weakest uh, studio album. I, I think the issue with Marcy Boku is that like he had just came off Reloaded and it was his like quote unquote producer album where he's showcasing his production with other MCs on it. But a lot of the beats aren't very memorable, or like at least from you know when I've listened to it, it has some great tracks on it though. Uh, it starts off really well. Love Means of Evidence is great, and it's kind of funny because 
evidence does sound a bit like Rock Marcy, so to have him open his album, I always felt quite humorous. And it also has one of my favorite lines um, where he's like, the Queen's twat was hairy like an Ewok. It's just, again, <laughs> one, of those, <laughs> one of those really silly sexual lines that is just, I don't know, really goofy but kind of hilarious. Um, my favorite track on here is easily Psych Ward with Gangrene, which... I'm assuming that I guess Rock produced this one because it sounds very much like an Alchemist beat or at least a gangrene beat like Alk and Ono put it together themselves. What it really does sound like, though, is like some of the wildest like RZA stuff or maybe what Mad Lib did on uh, Mm. outside on OJ Simpson. It sounds like so wild, just like 10 different things going on at once, shit flying around. It's (laughs) by far the liveliest thing on here. It yeah. fit right in on Greenberg or the Sawblade EP, which we didn't really talk about, I think. But uh, that's just like one track, essentially, with them together, which is same stuff as Greenberg. But yeah, that is my favorite thing on here. The Ka stuff is very good, as always. Yeah. Uh, Cut the Check is very good, except for a really annoying Quelle verse. Quelle can be hit or miss with me, with his quirkiness, and that was yep. a miss. Um, I think Blue and Rock together is such a good combination that I was annoyed that Quelle did that with it. Um, right. So yeah, um, like there, it's not a bad release at all. Like, um, occasionally you do like I could have uh, done without Matthew Ragazzino. I don't yeah. think he ever really adds much to anything. But yeah, you get like him with one of his best, some of his best collaborators. You get Ka twice. You get Bronson. Um, but it doesn't really. You get Gangrene. But with this concept, where I was first of all, I was hoping for more memorable beats. I agree. Aside from Psych Ward, there's nothing really in terms of a memorable beat. And is really interesting. Um, but the other thing but, you really hope for is that, like, you know, dream collaborators. Like, aside from like the usual circle, like obviously you're going to get the cost stuff, knowledge of the pirate Bronson, and really it doesn't deliver. Like, you just kind of get like Boldy, which no one really cared about Boldy then. It wasn't that big a deal. You get like AG the coroner, which is like okay. You got Action Bronson's weed carrier. That's cool. Uh, Bragazino sucks. SAS was interesting. Um, yeah, the British really them to shit fuck up. Uh, yeah, Cameron's English muffin carriers from the <laughs> Ipset days. But uh, I, but the beefer didn't know with um, uh, is it freeway and knowledge the pirate where it's like that twinkling noise and it's got that really bizarre drum pattern. Um, that's quite an interesting, memorable beat to me. That was a weird, yeah. Considering that freeway is probably the biggest name on here, that was an interesting thing to give to him. Mm, for sure, and he did well with it. I think. Yeah, um, no, freeway's a great rapper. I I really mm. like freeway, but mm. and but yeah. he's got a good voice for what like uh. Because a lot of what this whole like niche genre of rap relies on is having a good distinctive voice. Like yeah. so many of these rappers that don't sound like you know they might have hard bars like flame emoji bars or whatever, but they just have the same goddamn voice. Yeah. But Freeway has always been somebody with a super distinctive voice, and that made his bars stand out. His voice gave a character, and I think mm-hmm. at first, if you're not used to Rock's voice, his voice could sound like a little colorless or monotone. But what he does with it. Yeah. With the context of his lines and the production, it actually has tons of character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this album is not his best work. Yeah, the, the, the tracks con- are worth keeping. The gangrene tracks worth grabbing. The the thing about this and Marcy Boku, uh, sorry, and Pimpire Strikes Back coming out a few months apart is you often read people say they should have combined the best tracks from the two of those into one album. Um, but the whole idea of this album, uh, obviously, is that it is him. 
getting guests on every track. So between the two of them, you can probably make something really great if you were to kind of mix and match. Yeah, I don't agree with that criticism. And the point of Pimpire was to do like a free mixtape. Yeah. The theme. So it doesn't make sense to combine that with unrelated stuff because he stays on theme in Pimpire. And the theme is yes. that he wants to take women and make them have sex to make money for him. Um, yes. So, like, in the way, like, it's... It's interesting because, again, like, you know, the homophobia on Marsburg. Like, this is definitely more in turn. The homophobia on Marsburg was harder for me to deal with because it felt a little more, like, not a character thing. More, like, just genuine, like, hate speech sort of thing. Like, he's just, like... The way he kept coming back to it was like, okay, you're really preoccupied with this. Whereas, right. you know, like, there's a lot of pimp talk on this, but it also feels like it's kind of you're watching a movie. You can at yeah. least attribute this more to is he's playing a character, even mm-hmm. though it's like some like his coldest line about pimping is still to come. It's on chaos. We'll get to it. But um <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's on chaos. Um, but there's there's stuff on here like sacrifice, which is him over a mad lib beat for the yeah. only time, I believe. Only time he's been on a Mad Lib uh, There is somewhere, um, maybe even from the UN days, when Mad Lib remixed like a, a um, rock acapella and put it on one of his beats. But I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, that's like, this is probably the only like organic collab, you know? Um, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's super good. It's so smooth. Like four and a half. But yeah, like the, cor- the chorus, if you want to call it that, is like him talking about you want to sacrifice that my her body she want to buy me that bugatti and like that's how it leads off and it's like yeah like that's pretty much the content you're getting is like he raps about being a pimp and he does it very well like both the bronson features are great like uh i actually like the bronson and loren like bronson and loren are always really good together Mm. and velvet cape that's a really good collaboration yeah. Uh, Rough Town at the very end is a really nice surprise with Cormega, and it's also uh, another one of the rare introspective tracks he would do. Uh, really, um, my main... Com- and also, I feel like this is probably the last time, if you really want him over traditional drums, that you're going to hear that for the entirety of a tape. Yeah, I can't really remember how much of this is drumless and how much of it has drums. Um, I, I mean, there is weird drumless stuff in the middle, but I think... <laughs> generally like this is like standard drum pattern stuff like rough towns a little experimental but that's more in like a reggae patois sort of way right i recall like he would experiment with like the sing like a uh, singing stuff he's not actually singing. he will sing in the future <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yep>. short-lived <laughs> but um, yeah this is like it's a character exercise it's him over more conventional production <laughs> you get it's not essential but it's a good listen. It just, yeah. the, the content itself can get a little old. Like I was listening to this at work and it was one of those things where it's like, I'm glad these are noise canceling headphones. Cause some of this shit, I don't know if I want people hearing me listen to it. <laughs> right. Um, uh, uh, to me as well, it's kind of like the summary rock album, you know, or like mixtape. It just, it doesn't, doesn't feel as cold. Um, yeah. I, I can see that for ones. sure. Yeah. Like there's um, definitely, um, stuff in here like ice cream man which is not necessarily about ice cream trucks in the summertime or whatever but it right. it feels more like the stories he's telling are about like a different time of year than perpetually new york in the dead of winter yeah for sure and also i love um the evidence beat on uh take me over um, i'm guessing um did you listen to this one up and why did you skip this one 
Oh, which one? I didn't hear it cut out a little bit. Oh, Pimpire. I was asking. Oh, no, I did. I did. Uh, I thought you guys were to move on to another one. No, I did hear this one. Um, I like the Bronson track, or the second one. Um, and I was, um, I don't know. I, I like, I like, oh, I haven't, it was a pretty early on, like, rock project. I haven't heard it in a while, and it wasn't one of my favorites. Like, it was pretty good. Um, but I don't have much to contribute besides. I really like the last couple tracks. Uh, the, the Lord Finesse beat and the one with Cormega on the end um, is a really uh, good song. And Cormega in general is kind of underrated. Um, yeah, he's great. So, like, his I, own... I agree with that. I his think- own, like, solo career, I think, is underrated, even though he doesn't have that much work, if I recall correctly. Yeah, um, I mean, mm-hmm. if I recall, the realness is very good. Very good. And um, the most recent one I remember, which is like six years ago, I believe, Mega Philosophy is what the yeah. band says. That. I remember liking that one. I don't think I've listened to anything in between. But he always shows up on features. Like, he was For the sure. best thing on... Well, no, I don't know. He was the best thing on the firm feature on the Nas album. That was probably AZ. But for the, like, whenever he shows up on a feature, I feel like he never sounds like a like a washed old guy like he always manages to have some energy and presence to him so uh just real quick as well regarding the uh, lord finesse beat it's actually just the interlude from um oc's jules album and he's just looped it so i don't really know like i suppose that's why it's like the mixtape because he's used someone else's beat i don't know if him and lord finesse yeah this was definitely free when it came out so i don't know if you could still get it for free it streams on spotify and I believe all the tracks are there. Yeah. Who knows with Spotify, but mm-hmm. yeah, again, this is another one of those, like I will not say any rock release is bad. There are just some that are less essential than others. And I'd say this is probably on the less essential side. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you don't have a car feature on here. Although mm-hmm. Kyle wouldn't really fit in with the content, honestly. Yeah, no. um, and, or the mood, like, again, it's more summary. That's not really his like whole approach. I'm sure you can do it, but it's just not what like they do together. I think yeah. the one essential thing on here is the sacrifice with the Mad Lib beat, yeah, uh, and uh, Rough Town with Cormega would be the other one I would pick. Both, both the Bronson, like again, there's no shortage of uh, good tracks on here, but <laughs> overall, in his like catalog, I think it's one of his. But it was a free mix tape, so yeah. and it's a, for what a really it was, good. Frame, I think it was so. more than sufficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, it cracks me up on the sacrifice when he's he says something like about an hour sooner climbing up the sewer. How peculiar! Like <laughs> just in that really silly, like kind of low key humor, um, and just odd phrasing that you probably wouldn't typically hear from a from like an East Coast rapper. Um, yeah, yeah, that's like the understated delivery is sells so many of his lines. That that line's very MF Doom, actually. I feel like um, just the way it's delivered. Yeah, I think that my whole perception of Marciano went from being that he was Raekwon on Xanax to MF Doom that shoots people. Yeah, pimp MF Doom. More or less. MF Doom that pimps people, pimps women and shoots people. Yeah. And <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, and he would really escalate this on Rosebud's Revenge, which I think is his most cinematic album. Mm. And production-wise, 
his most impressive album. Not not necessarily his most experimental, because I think there was stuff on Dark Horse and Mount Marcy that's more experimental than this, although this has its moments. And I think Chaos is his most well the most well-produced album he's been on, and he didn't produce that. But some of this shit is just, like... Well, you have, like, Lushness, like the title yeah. track. You have... Uh, Stuff like Gun Sense, which is again, he's kind of dipping again more into like reggae rhythms, mm-hmm. but and like you know, extended track times and like different time signatures and just able to rhyme over them. Like, not like that's a quality he shares with Doom. I'm glad you mentioned Doom. Like, Doom would always rhyme over weird shit too. Like, he'd go over like an herbalizer beat or mm-hmm. like an instrumental or something. And he would always like, people would complain, oh, Doom raps the same way all the time. But you know, what you don't see what's so impressive is that he's able to do that no matter what the instrumental is. And it doesn't feel forced. He kind of bends the track to his will. Mm-hmm. Rock has that same quality. Um, and one of the, the weirdest, like, in terms of time signature beats on this is Pray For Me. Now, I don't know what timing that's in, but it's, like, very odd. Um, yeah, Pray For Me and Here I Am Back to Back. That's, like, a 10-minute yeah. tweet of just, like, weird instrumental vamping. Like, he name-drops Prince more than once on this album, and I think he also yeah. name-drops, like, Parliament. I think he was definitely in a headspace of listening to a lot of, like, 70s, 80s funk and mm. psychedelic, like that's what was seems like it was informing a lot of like the sample choices and atmosphere on this album. And yeah. it all just kind of it's all honed into this very theatrical soundscape for mm. the way I put it in my review is that this is his Rick Ross album. Right. He's really just blowing everything up to just like the most ostentatious, exaggerated possible way. And the way he play, the way he plays the character is different. Like he plays it with like an understated, dry sarcasm. Whereas, like you know, Ross has like lines that are more subtle, but Ross is like a louder character than Rock. Yep. Like, Rock gets his laughs by underplaying. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's the, pretty much the exact opposite for Rick Ross. But I feel like Rick Ross is the obnoxious Rock Marcy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like and subconsciously so. Yeah, And I think that's why Rock Marcy can make, for the most part, the sex songs palatable, whereas I never want to hear a Rick Ross sex song in my life. <laughs> I don't think, I don't, I don't, you don't need to, we, we have those. Those exist. I mean, there's one that we've discussed at length on this show that we yes. will not go into detail about. But there's also, like, I don't know, Touching You with Mariah Carey and, like... I don't know. There's like he would always include at least one or two, and they were no, no one. Like, who are these four? And like, they would always include references to food. Like, he was like George Costanza trying to marry food and sex together, and it's just <laughs> like it's just jarring. But like, the thing about it was his obnoxious persona wasn't able to make those things entertaining because first of all, it felt like he was making a weird mainstream concession, and any attempts at like like humor or character just gonna feel out of place because the songs are just like already weird compromises whereas rock is able to make them part of his whole character dynamic the songs themselves are not compromises so when he's adding these little weird character details it's not like rick ross inappropriately mentioning food when he's talking about getting a blowjob like i don't want to hear about Wingstop when you're talking about getting your dick sucked i don't want to hear about <laughs> getting your dick sucked period but you mentioning a Wingstop plug in the middle of it makes it even worse like rock is able to just like make it like the way he sells the lines, the way he constructs it, it's just like another part of this like dryly humorous com- like 
dark comedy. So he's able to get away with those tracks for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, and, but on this album, he's doing a lot of the same stuff aside from the sex stuff that Ross would do. And just like painting this character as like an act, like an action anti-hero, just some of the most outlandish brags over some of the most opulent instrumentals. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my favorite bars is when he's like, uh, ordered some eggs, left this restaurant, might knock down your mom's. She looks like Gloria Estefan. <laughs> so, like, how do you how do you think like to rhyme you know restaurant with Gloria Estefan? It's just and that song that song Hearing Bone where it's that real like um, dark piano beat and it has the funniest beat switch when it's just like oh, that yeah, real silly loop. Yeah, that's like a completely unnecessary beat switch and he switches his flow entirely <laughs> for the last forty five seconds and he that kills it too. Killed me. Yeah, so good. Um, this album actually has my favorite rock song on it too, which is um, Burkina Faso. Just that beat is like it's like a vision quest in the desert. Like it's so crazy, droning, psychedelic, like. Oh, it's just so good, man. I love it. And then that's followed by um, Mark's Men, which is a crazy, like, lush um, collab with Car and Car's Mark's Men might be my favorite collab of theirs, although I'm really fond of their collab on Days with Yen Lo. I mm-hmm. think the run from Gun Sense through to Here I Am is probably the most, at least up to this point, like, expansive experimental production he had done. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's important to mention as well that it's it's both his production and uh, Arch Druids. So uh, Animos and Don C did a lot of those beats on this album too. I think it's like 50-50 even. Um, and yeah, just really like exquisite, um, lush sound palette throughout the whole thing, which is, um, it, it would probably be my favorite rock album if the mixing was better. There's a few tracks. Yes, okay, that was bothering the shit out of me, and I kept fucking yeah. with my volume on it. His vocals are too under the beat half the time. Yeah. Too quiet. It's very, and, uh, like, it's hard to Gunson's, hear him. It's legitimately hard to hear him sometimes. Gun scene sounds completely different on headphones as it does speakers. It's really strange. It's, like, quite jarring. <laughs> Um, I really like better know in terms of like a like that's like a really smooth like I think that's as close as he comes to making a party track. Mm-hmm. Like, that's and move dope just a really fucking like hard as hell way to come into yeah. the album. It and, is what it is. Fuck what it could have been. Read the bullets and just some shit to put some bullets in. It's oof, vicious. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. start a fucking album off. <laughs> That's the, that's the first line, right? Like, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, Fuck what yeah. it could have been. Read yeah. the bullet and you're just some shit to put bullets in. Like, oh, like I'm just constantly <laughs> amazed by the way he just plays with language and, like, flow and his delivery is so cold. Like, also, Mar- Marksman is ridiculous. Oh, man. The, the so way good. they go, the way, uh, that's my favorite collab of... of the two of them. Yeah, I, I just said that. I think that's probably my favorite collab too, because I really like their collab on Yen Lo, but that's shorter. This one's more fleshed out, and they go back and forth on this, which you don't really ever hear. And yeah, it's, well, honestly, yeah. the honestly the the collab on Descendants of Cain too. Oh, is, man, he killed is, it. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's probably neck and neck with with Marksman for my favorite from them. They're that um. Oh God! What is what is that? What's that? What's that song? Was that Fruit of the Spirit? What's what is that? Um, Sons of the Father. Sons of the Father. Oh, Father yeah, sure. Way 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 different yeah. song title. But um, yeah, that that song is. Uh, I I love 
how they play off each other on that's all. One of, one of my favorite things about Sins of the Father is when um, the album drops, it just said production by Rock Marcy, so there wasn't like an actual verse listed. And then when his verse came in, like my just my jaw dropped because yeah, it was just the best surprise. I like oh, probably should have expected, it, but um, it, yeah, it's, it's a great, great verse. Yeah, um, it's, great schemes on that one. It's a great. Uh, Another thing about this album, yeah, is when he starts to kind of, um, I suppose, do more beat switches, but also like um, outros to beats. Where like on um, Gun Sense, for example, it's got that really extended outro, um, where it just kind of like drifts for like quite a long time. Um, All that stuff I find really cool. Oh yeah, he's definitely as a producer coming into his own, like filling out the corners of the album at this point. Like he was always doing the little details, like you said about like on. uh, on uh, Marsburg, he had like the little fucking up the loop bit that was very RZA, and I feel like like on Marcy Boku, he's able to do like a Greenberg beat 100 like Alchemist and O would have done. But here, he's taking his own like those are like him getting in other people's head spaces. This is him exper- like in his own lane, really kind of expanding his palette and expanding what he was working with. Um, completely unrelated to that, but Pimperest has one of the funniest endings ever, which gives it the song, give the song its title is the concept that he is going to put a woman under Pimperest, which is like citizen's arrest, but he's a pimp. So, (laughs) which is the way to like, I'm not, again, I'm not doing it justice. And then, yeah, like there's, there's actually significantly more introspective stuff on the final third here, actually. I mean, like uh, even Pig Knuckles, which mostly is just like he tends to end the albums on like a bragging note where he's kind of sitting on his throne, sitting at this table, just mm-hmm. talking his shit after what he's earned. But Pig Knuckles, like the, what gives it his title is he's like talking about what he had to get through to get here and how streety and like how black he is. He's black as Pig Knuckles. And also um, the um, what's the one um, I was talking about before the really strange beat. Um, uh, pray for me that's a very like autobiographical track as well where it's you hadn't really heard him do that since Marsburg at, at this point you know where the whole track is like him kind of talking about his come up um and, and that kind of thing and also is that real funny bit where he's like where he's like what's what you mad for what you make more um shop with bricks. <laughs> like he goes in this like real funny like kind of like miniature rant you know like i love that kind of shit <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great. It's deadpan. It's like um, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, the Danny Brown Triple X episode, but it's the pro wrestling concept of you develop a great character by taking your own personality and inflating it to the heights that you can't do in real life. That's your character. That's how the best successful characters are just enhancements or variations on what the person is like already. And I feel like that's kind of where he, where rock goes as a rapper as an MC, like he develops this persona, like, and that's why it works better for him as an artist than maybe it does for Rick Ross. Cause Rick Ross is more like borrowing from like movie concepts and tropes and stuff. And I still think it works for Rick Ross. Like we did a whole episode on him. I think we're a lot nicer to Rick Ross than a lot of rap fans on the internet. I, I, I would agree. But I think that in terms of like overall output, like no, like Rock's way more consistent than Ross. I think that he like has like maybe one or two dud songs. Ross has like several dud albums. I think that Rock's approach is like definitely more like grounded in like that's why you have those autobiographical details. Like Ross only recently started to learn how to actually thread those into his music. 
like Rock's always been doing that, but like he still has this outsized character that's like you know he's lighting the chronic on the tail of a comet. Like, <laughs> like that's how. Like so, yeah, he takes like these superhero act, like anti, like action hero things, and and blends them in with his own true, mm-hmm. like his own story to create this mm-hmm. persona, and it's feels rooted in something real while being something elevated and entertainment for sure um another quick thing i want to mention about this album as well is there's quite a few instances where he like abruptly ends songs but it's like he does it really well um like on history the last line is um something like hold the mac 10 spray it uh legs levitated your family is devastated and then just that's it like he's, he's really good at doing that and i think he's yeah he's doing that a lot more um from this album onwards that's another doom. That's another doom trick. I think hmm. of just like kind of knowing when to button the song on, and I think that kind of goes together with the multis that he's so fond of doing. Hmm. Yep, for sure. So. Yeah, I love this one. I really wouldn't change anything about it except for the vocal mixing. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I thought either I had a bad copy or I had my computer set up wrong because I didn't really remember <laughs> it being that annoying when I first listened to it. But I was listening to it today, and I was like. I really wish I could hear this better. So it reminds me of something similar where um, (laughs) the first time I heard, I'm not like a young thug. I don't listen to young thug or anything, but the first time I heard young thug was on that um, lifestyle song. I could not tell Mm. what he was saying. (laughs) And I heard more of his music, right? And I couldn't tell if either he was enunciating better or if my ears had adapted to like his, his vocals. And I think with this album, it's something kind of similar where it's like, I've heard so much rock Marcy that I can make out this through the shitty mixing. But I don't know if someone has, if this is their first rock album, it's probably going to be a bit of a struggle. Um, so yeah, yeah, I can make it out pretty easily, but it's annoying. Like, I feel like it should be clearer. So I feel Mm. like if you weren't accustomed to listening to Marciano and especially after listening to stuff like other projects of his, where he is clear, it is more noticeable as mm. well but it's also not like a situation with like some blue albums where you actually have to like go into audacity and fix it to be able to fucking hear it so it could be a lot worse yeah it's not al davino level mixing is it <laughs> al davino mixing his shit in a large metal toilet and then charging <laughs> on band camp. what a flex <laughs> Uh, real quick, because I don't think Caleb listened to this one. Uh, Rock did a project with unknown to me rapper named after, I believe, an old baseball pitcher, Thurman Munson, mm. called Sabbath, which has some ICP ass cover art if I've ever seen it. It, it, it does. Pretty cool cover yeah. art, though, um, in that way. Um, this guy is black Irish. He, uh, if you couldn't tell from the shamrock on the cover, he raps about it a lot on this album that he is black Irish. So that is his um, his hook. It's a pretty good album in that it's like uh, it's rock Marciano doing like rock beats that are like rock beats, like more guitar influenced on that on that sort of end of stuff, kind of closer to Greenberg, closer to like Muggs or Alchemist in that way. So they're very it's very much rock Marciano instrumentals. So don't believe the guy in the comment box who says it's not really a rock project. It is. But in terms of the lyrical content and the rapping nowhere near the presence of rock like he's very kind of like mayhem loren or percy p uh like power punch rapping hitting you with a lot of shit but he's not as dexterous or lyrical as those guys still like interesting enough 
but he still gets washed whenever like you know rock shows up guilty shows up um there is one song on here i want to focus on <laughs> do you know what song I, I bet you know what song i want to mention so i i hadn't listened to this album at all until today i did a cram listen and um i got to that song and i just i was like i can't get through this and i had to skip it so there is a song <laughs> on here called january jones aka sacred <laughs> It is a song about the dick being sacred, and it's named <laughs> after the least liked actress on Mad Men. It's baffling. It is <laughs> fucking. I I don't understand it. Um, I, I don't get it, man. It, it also kind of derails the album because then you have like a weird paranoid track and a skit, and then the guilty track kind of brings it back together. Uh, it's it's not a it's by far probably the least essential thing we're going to cover in here. I actually liked it better than the Stove God album um, okay. because I like these beats better than the beats Rock put on the Stove God album. But Stove God's definitely a more interesting MC than Thurman. Yeah. Um. So I would say that, and yeah, I feel like Stove God gets a bum rap, whereas I think there's probably a pretty good reason you haven't heard much from Thurman Munson since now since this. Yeah, that's weird. I don't ever recall seeing Rock promote this album, so I, it might have been a thing where this dude paid him to get a whole bunch of beats, and that was that. I, I don't really know what the kind of backstory is. Um, I, ha- I hadn't heard it until today. Um, and you can get the instrumentals to this very easily, by the way, so if you don't really want to deal with the uh, average MC, you just want to hear the rock beats, it's like mm. essentially just as good as having another rock beat tape. So, okay. Cool. So yeah, you could. I would probably just seek out the instrumentals. The MC is nothing special. It's yeah. He not... um, he kind of reminded me of Vinny Paz, but like this mix with. I mean, he and Vinny have one thing in common: they really don't like gay people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that <laughs> was a layup. Was like a... That was too easy. Yeah, that was slow pitch softball, but. It was um just like kind of uh, tough guy rap vocals um. He has some good lines, I think. I'd probably have to listen to it again, but I thought the rock beats are pretty cool. I like the uh, the beat on the Guilty Simpson track was really good. Yeah, uh, the Guilty track's probably my favorite thing on there. He's not a bad rapper. It's just he's not oh. super interesting. I can't... Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to recommend unless you're really into that specific niche. And it's like, if you are, then again, like I feel like there are rappers who do it better. Like Again, like Mayhem Loren, I think, has a lot of projects that... But... From a Rock Marciano fan standpoint, the instrumentals are cool. It's a sound that you only hear once or twice on his proper album, so to hear him doing a whole album of that, like even on his beat tape, there are only one or two beats that really prominently feature like that fuzzy guitar sound, that yeah, more yeah. like alt-rock, metal, almost yeah. metal kind of approach to it. And that's like the dominant sound on this album. It's dark, it's like yeah. rock-driven, it's the sort of like beats for like, Hip hop listen like people like dudes who listen to hip hop who say, Oh, I don't like rap, but and then they put out a cage album or something. It's like those right. streets. Yeah, yeah. But so it's it's very interesting in that aspect, and the rapping is not bad. So it's like again another completist project. But mm. like don't waste don't take time from listening to an actual rock album to listen to this. Yeah, I think that's a fear assessment. Now now we go on from that to the sequel to Rosebud's Revenge, RR2, The Bitter Dose, which probably his weirdest <laughs> album. Yeah. Um, do you know what I'm liking it to? Um, it's, it's Rock making an anti-pop consortium album. Hmm. Hmm. It's just like very strange. Lots of kind of like um, 
I don't know, like sound effect beats, you know, obviously like Bed Spring King, but just like weird, like um, CVS has that weird zapping crazy. I don't know what that instrument is, but um, yeah, just lots of well, very field shit. <laughs> there's, there's one beat that, you know, that has some sound effects in it. That is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I guess we have to address the, uh, the elephant in the room, which is Rock's attempt at remaking the classic Wale and Tiara Thomas song, Bad, where Wale <laughs> a, a squeaky mattress he was fucking on, where Rock declares himself the bed spring king. And to let you know that he's the bed spring king, he sampled, in fact, a squeaky bed spring mm. for four minutes. And it doesn't fucking stop. And it's it's fucking oh man it's it's like the most grating pop like people who complain about East like go fuck yourself right. like that is, that is not what an annoying beat sounds but like four minutes of a squeaky ass spring and calling that a beat is what a and the thing is the the raps are like they could be great. I'm too distracted by the beat, but they're not great. I know they're not great. They're probably... Uh, I don't know. It's like it's some pretty good technical rapping, I think, like to actually rap over the beard spring. Well, I mean, like, it's a flex in that, yeah, it's like The Rock can rap over anything flex. Like, yes, I think that he he pulls that off. The song itself, ex- the song in and of itself existing, the song existing in and of itself is a flex. That doesn't mean I ever want to listen to it again. That doesn't mean it's not my least favorite Rock Marcy song because it's four minutes of that loop with him just doing nonstop sex lines where they just get, it gets old. Like the joke gets old. Like it feels like a joke that plays itself out. And even though it is technically impressive in that he is able to do it, it's still just purely grating the noise. It also also comes before one of the best songs on the album. And it comes after a few of the best songs. It comes after the like Bohemian Grove, uh, Cornishi CVS Sex Fifth Run, which is a great run. Well, I mean, Major League, I'm not fond of either because I think they kind of overplay the the baseball metaphors on that one. Yeah, like Bed, Bed Spring King. Yeah, Bed Spring King. Bed Spring King and Major League back to back are two times where it's rare that Rock like devotes an entire track to a concept. And in both cases, especially Bed Spring King, it feels like it's just like beating it to death. Like more knowledge is verse on Major League than his because it's just like okay, we get it. It's like the streets are like baseball and like, you know, pitching drugs is like pitching a yeah, baseball. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, okay. I'm going to slightly defend Bed Spring King. Um, I like the funk guitar on it, on the beat. I reckon that's, that sounds good. Um, and also it doesn't, I haven't heard this Wale song, but it, uh, it does remind me of Lil Ugly Mane's Looking for the Sucking, which has like a Bed <laughs> Well, that's a so that's, that's a that's, that's a play on the the three six uh, well not three six but just the Memphis rap track that's been uh, oh, that remade so remade by a million different uh, Memphis yeah. rap artists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but I think originally it's a um, was it? it's a DJ uh, Zerk song, right? Or no, it was a. It's a. I think it's a skinny. It's a squeaky DJ Squeaky song, and Skinny Pimp's done it, and DJ Paul's on. Yeah, we need, we need Ghost to somebody ask Ghost in the Discord because I'm not the one to ask about this. But yeah, I think it's it's it, 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 it's it's looking for the chewing is the song. Title, <laughs> what so. a fucking title! <laughs> and it's been it's been uh it's been made by a bunch of different uh like Memphis rap artists. Yeah, They're re-repurposed. Yeah. 
But as far as this album goes, uh, Bohemian Grove, misspelled on RYM. Somebody get on that. It's not Bohemian Groove. Uh, <laughs> Bohemian Grove through to Sax Fifth is one of the best runs he has on any album. Yeah. And then the Power is one of his best closers. Like, this is full of, like... And yeah, CVS, the beat on that is this just fucking weird outer space shit. It's like as so weird as anything Danny Brown has ever rapped over. Yeah. It's just so... Like there's there's that and I think the sex fifth beat is pretty weird too. Yeah, um, the sex fifth beat is like vaporware. It's really strange. Like it's like a um, it sounds like it's from like an aerobics instruction video. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a lot like a lot of the instrumentals on this have that sort of like rock pull them off of like dusty VH. Like it's dusty in a different way. These are like dusty VHSs. <laughs> like he's digging like different loops. Like and he's still yeah. rapping about the same stuff, but. And like, yeah, there's like not as much of the introspective bent that you got on Rosebud here. Like he's kind of going back to like, again, like there are the tracks where he goes in on themes a little bit, but mostly this is just like punchlines, good punchlines, yeah, like establishing his persona. I think Corniche is probably my favorite thing on here uh, well, for power. Yeah. It's, this album is like very funny, and um, I think the um, the ad libs are his funniest for sure. Like, um, I know some haters don't promote, but sometimes like I'm the goat, and then there's just like a bad noise. It's just yeah, yeah. so <laughs> dumb, but so good. I and also, bitch fucking, I look nothing like that. I look like God, you know, like when she compares him to Ralph Macho because he's wearing like a bandana bandana on his head. Just like all of those really funny ad libs that just. They kill me, man. They slay me. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's what's the um, oh gosh, what's the bar on Corniche where he first of all, amazing beat. I mean, we yeah. talked about that, but goddamn, that beat is is so smooth. But what's the one where he's like, um, it's after the. It's after the. Um, is it when Action Bronson says he's butt naked playing Tekken? Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, you know it, the one where he's like, uh, I mean, and I guess this is like not, you know, he says the the Brussels was colorful like chunks of fruit. Uh, stop riding dicks. Choose a new muscle group. <laughs> Don't forget to lick nuts too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, but he pauses before he says. <laughs> if you listen to the song he like pauses right before he delivers that last line before action comes in oh no um, like, that's one of the things he does that's so great is like he shares with doom as well as the the pause in his lyrics when he's like doing jokes and also, like, also sorry, action bronson action bronson saying Two guns just for symmetry, bitch. I had that shit on me when I was playing Little League. Yeah, your yep. boy is first class. I've never seen the middle seat. To be fair, I think there are other reasons Action Bronson never had to sit in the middle seat. Wow. This is tough. First, we, in the Michigan episode, we uh, height shamed Kevin Hart, and now we're. Uh, <laughs> weight shaming action bronson. I, I, i'm not trying to fat shame anybody i mean if action bronson's lyrics are to be believed he's always doing gymnastics getting in and out of the whip he's all doing all types of bat flips and shit. <laughs> true yeah. always on looking power, um, 
I would say that uh, Rock Marciano manages to one up Lil Wayne because he beats the pussy up like Rodney King. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. <laughs> so he does he, does he, he beats it like a cop. <laughs> now he's managing to like marry two Lil Wayne unfortunate lines there because Rock Wayne beat the pussy up like Emmett Till, Emmett mm-hmm. Till, and then he also. <laughs> Had uh, Mrs. Officer, so in yes. a way, this is like really clever. True. In another way, this is also just really gross. <laughs> but you know, and yeah. uh, another thing, oh sorry, about this album that that should be gross, but is actually not at all, is uh, the song "Happy Endings." That's like a that's yeah, that's a we feel. We're all that. expecting the worst there. We were <laughs> the worst there. What like what did what did you think like the hook was gonna be, Patch? <laughs> well, um, this was before he was he, he hadn't sung yet because he doesn't sing until Behold a Dark Horse. That he blesses us with his singing voice. But I mean, I did hear the beat, and the beat does have a little bit of a quote unquote Eastern flavor to it. So mm. I was afraid that we might get like some sort of like Full Metal Jacket sample or something, or some sort of unfortunate vocal sample. But it's, it's just like, like the uh, this is like the Killer Priest song that was inspired by uh, the, the struggle of the native people. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that song's so strange. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting. But he felt so much like now. Now I guess the Killer Priest challenge. I, I did have a long-standing challenge for somebody to do Rockets and Nebula on the show. Now I guess it would have to be both Killer Priest albums since he dropped a second one. With yeah, that the second one's What's up? Uh, that uh, third eye and Technicolors. I've been listening to it this week. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's got some some cover art. That's oh, it's got some garish shit going on. Speaking of, we're not going to go back down the rabbit hole again of cover art, but that is like some straight up, like straight to Kindle single, like hatchet fucking <laughs> cover art. I, I love the new age, um, like arc of Killer Priest's career, though. It's just, it's yeah. It's great. Oh yeah, it's where great. he became like if Jay Electronica was rapping over Rain in England. Yeah, and yeah, also he has a podcast, and he just like gets on all these just like new age people, and it's just the most incoherent shit you'll ever hear. <laughs> Does he ever interview like David Ike or something? <laughs> I want to put a pass him to do that eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, another song on this. Uh, just to go back to Bitterdose, uh, "Kill You" has a fucking vicious line when he's like, um, oh, "What does he say?" He's like, "Maybe a little major late, a major lady, a widow with the bath water. Don't throw the baby out the window." That's a real good line. Um, what else? Uh, also, does anyone else think that the beat to uh, "Tent City," the second track, sounds like a Madlib beat? Which one? Which one? The second track, Tent City. I can see that. Um, mm. I'm trying to recall it, but yeah, I feel like some of his loops do have a mad lib quality around this period. Mm. Like, I mean. I love and- I'm sorry. There's also that song Muse where he's just talking over the or rapping over the the vocal sample. It's like really um, prominent. That hey baby, you know that one? Oh yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. he has a definite um one of his things he likes to do, which I guess he shares with I guess Madlib too. Is he just mm-hmm. like lets the like the loop flood, like he just lets unadulterated loops play and goes over them, and he's yep. pretty. There's actually an art to that. Hmm. Like it seemed lazy. Like I remember the first time I heard somebody do that it was either Red Man or Ghostface. 
I'm just mm. like, this is so lazy. Like, you just took an old song and rapped over it. But you have to know what part to pick, and as a rapper producing yourself, you have to know how to rap over it. And it's just more rock knowing how to rap over everything. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think he... With this, or album. just laziness, you just liked the song and didn't feel like making it new. <laughs> but I think to you with this album, it's definitely one of his. It has songs in it that are some of his most accessible songs, but I think it's one of his least accessible albums, at least at, at, at this stage in his career. Mm. Um, yeah. I, just because he makes I mean, some interesting, he, he so makes weird. some interesting stylistic choices. Like that we've talked about, where doesn't sound like stuff he's done before, and I think, you know, in general, there's always a small risk to that because you could throw a long time dedicated fans off. Well, I think Rock's pretty confident his audience is going to follow him wherever he goes at this point, and this is him really starting to test his audience musically, mm-hmm. like, and like these were influences that were already there, like Rose Buddy was always already pushing in this direction so it makes sense the mm. sequel would push that much harder mm. yeah for sure um i think it's and- less cinematic than the first one or it's cinematic in a different way like i said it's got that fuzzy 80s vhs quality to it mm. for sure whereas the first one was more of like a 70s like black exploitation grindhouse sort of thing maybe not grindhouse but you know what i mean like it yeah, has sure. a glossier aspect to it than this one does mm-hmm um, this is actually, I think, his lowest rated on RYM, which I find... It is a little misleading because it has more... Under Marcy Boku? Under Marcy oh, Boku? No, 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 Marcy Boku is, is his lowest rated. Is this the second lowest rated? If you don't count the Stove God album, then yeah. Yeah, which I, I mean, just his vocal albums, yeah, stuff he did. Vocal yeah. I, I find it... Kind of surprising because this is one album I thought RYM would love because it's so fucking strange. And you know, RYM loves experimental shit. Well, not you know, often really gets into experimental shit, but not so much this I album. I think that the uh, effect of something like a CBS or a sax or a sax is counterbalanced by Bed's Bring King. I think that got a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's possible actually. Which you know what? I'm going to take you up a little bit on your defense of it. And that you're right, the guitar is good. And you're right in your review where you talk about how intricate his rhymes are. Like, he really does put a lot of effort into beat, like finding a pocket in a song where there's no pocket. Mm. So I appreciate what he did with the song, even if I never want to hear the song again. Like, even yeah. like the way he raps lines, I don't want to hear over a beat. He manages to make a beat work for him that's the, like the most unappealing possible beat. Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, does that sum up this album? Any other thoughts on this one? Or? No. Is maybe his best closer. Oh yeah, absolutely is. Um, yeah, it's it's funny that he like manages to make it's quite like an emotional sounding song, even if he is just talking, just just shitting on people on it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like typical end of the album, just bragging. But he's got like a very like emotive sort of it seems like something Ghostface would pick to do a song about his mom or something almost. Right. Like, very yeah. deep. Yeah. Like I don't want to say saccharine sound to it, but emotive sound to it. And he just uses mm. it for the same cold bragging. Mm. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I, I really like this. I can see it as being, I think Corniche is one of his most best and most accessible songs. But I think otherwise, the best stuff on here is some of the least accessible CBS, Sax Fifth. Um, I guess Power is accessible. What's that other track as well? Um, let me just check. Um, the Source. That's a real weird song as well. Yeah, like a a, the, the beat it's is really weird beat. on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but he's he real vicious on really, that. He sticks all the really weird shit in the middle. Like, mm. definitely, like, between like after Corniche going through to like kill you, I guess is like where all the really weird stuff is. And then like the end, it gets a little bit back more towards the stuff he was doing on the first Rosebud. So yep. yeah, yeah, that's, that's weird to think of that. As a hmm. It's very inventive album. And he would kind of continue pressing in that sort of experimental direction with a behold a dark horse, mm-hmm. which has, Probably my second favorite rock song. I don't know. The, the Black Thought track on here really just bored the shit out of me. I listened to it a hundred times. Wow. And I think that might be behind 76 is my favorite rock song. Damn. It's really up there. I think that's great. And I really love Consigliere too. On the other hand, it also has, he finally reconnected with his old flip mode buddy, Busta. Yep. And Busta wants you to get off his dick. Yeah. Oh, get on my dick. Yeah. <laughs> no, get on my dick, bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, have you guys seen that video of Madlib? He's like doing a DJ set and he puts on Congo from this album. No, I have not. Oh, it's great. He's just really getting into it. I love Congo. It's got that really cool um, drum pattern on it, where it's like um, not him adding drums, but it's the drums on the actual sample kind of thing. Um, she does quite a lot. Um, but yeah, this was a surprise album. They, came, they just announced it one day and it came out on the flag in a few hours after that. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think the first five tracks on here are, that's another one of those runs. Like, he has runs on his albums I've been trying to point out where it's just, like, some of his best work. Like, I think the first five tracks on here is, like, rock fucking solid. Yeah. It loses me just a little bit. I don't, I think the knowledge collabs are not as, like, they always underwhelm me a little bit. I think, I don't think knowledge is quite like I've listened to his solo stuff too. And he strikes me as like, I think I described him as like, you, you want to go out to dinner, but you can't afford to go out to like the rock Marciano restaurant. So you go to like the fast casual knowledge restaurant (laughs) and that, and like, you know, it's kind of the same experience and you get a lot of the same like things you like about rock Marciano, but it's just not the same level of quality. And, Mm. That's kind of how I feel about him. And so his his track back to back with Trojan Horse, which just has the goofiest fucking hook. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Amethyst is really good. That's another, um, I think Don C or Animos did that one, the, the fifth track. Um, that one's really smooth and, and dreamy. Dreamy like CGI, as he says. Um, that's. Yeah. yeah I Listen to this one as much, I think. Um, I listened to it a, a lot when it came out, and then I just, I don't know, probably went back to Rosebuds too. I was kind of the same way, and I didn't really get around to this one so much for the homework. I did re listen to the tracks I liked, which were the Black Thought track and the end track at Sigliari, where he ends on like the best note of any Rock Marciano album, where he isn't playing. He goes to P.F. Chang's, eats your food, leaves without paying, which <laughs> is such a flex. Um, yeah, it's, 
it's well constructed in that I think it balances the weirder shit. It's not as overwhelmingly weird as Rosebud 2. It's mm. got more of the opulent stuff of the first Rosebud and kind of like the crap, like the cold crafted style of Reloaded. But mm. it's not quite as top shelf as those, I guess, overall. Like, I don't think there's many like great punch lines. Not to say there aren't great punch lines or. I don't know. I'm not really articulating this very well. It's just like a good rock album, but not a great rock album. Yeah, and people often say it's one that got a lot of traction as well. Lots of people were saying it was their favorite rock album, um, which, I mean, you, you can obviously make the case for any of the, his albums being great. Um, and this is a great album, but yeah, for whatever reason, haven't listened to it as much. Uh, but one thing worth mentioning is Alchemist's beat on uh, Fabio, where it has the beat switch, is really good. He has the probably the best line about um, snap referencing Snapple caps ever, where that's a fact, Jack. It's under the Snapple cap, which yep, is yep. better, which replaces Earl's uh, Snapple fact you rather whack as my Snapple related punchline. Yeah, it's it's good. I don't have too much to say about it. It's not as funny. Oh, like it's kind of sort of does the same stuff as the last few. But not as potent because it's like the weirdness of Rosebud 2 and like the cinematic scope of Reloaded put together, but it's not as potent as Reloaded or as funny as Rosebud 2. But it's still in the same ballpark as both. Like, I, I would I absolutely listen to it. It's I, a treat to hear him in thought it. together. Like, they, yeah. only, they did that only one other time. I, like, they're together on the Alchemist EP, right? Yeah, on yeah. uh, the 3DP. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, you get that again. One thing, yeah, I, this is kind of him like returning to a, a more nocturnal sound where I feel like um, Rosebuds 1 and 2, uh, they're kind of like, um, I don't know, like a like a psychedelic holiday on a tropical island or something, where this is more like a kind of night owl kind of album. That's the kind of mental image I get of this one. Yeah, it's kind of more back in the noir rap sort of mode of like... Mm like that started with Marsberg Marsberg that he would kind of refine on reloaded. I like, again, like I, I see that as the cinematic, when I say cinematic scope, that's kind of what I mean by it. You would think mm-hmm. there'd be a little more psychedelic, psychedelia stuff on there with like the biblical title and everything. But I right. think he just read that Bill Cooper book, behold a pale horse and just kind of <laughs> liked the title and just ran with it. And it's kind of the nineties rapper thing. So, cause he really doesn't even like, that's not really followed through. Like he doesn't have too many like biblical lines. Like he doesn't get any, like that's not really a theme he plays on too much here. Mm. So it doesn't feel like that's anything more than a cool aesthetic choice. Not so much a thematic yeah. one. It's, it's but, also kind of like his, um his victory lap album where it's like, yeah, another one, like, you know, I've just dropped a really good album after two other really good albums. And it's been the space of two years. You know, it's like that kind of thing. It's like him flexing basically like watch this shit, you know? Um, right. And yeah, yeah, but then after that, I guess you started, this is where he started to get the criticisms. I think they was putting out the same stuff over and over, which is not true. Cause this doesn't sound anything like the Rosebud album to me necessarily. No. Like it has aspects from it, but, as a whole, mm. it's not like if you played them like playing them one after the other. I can tell when they change. I can tell what tra- if you put them on shop, I can tell what tracks are from where. Yep. So I don't think that criticism holds water. But I think that maybe he was feeling it a bit because he stepped out from self-producing himself and from occasionally cherry picking other producers to actually handing over to an 
a whole other outside producer for his next project, Chaos with DJ Muggs. Mm. And this is my favorite Rock Marciano album. Mm. This one doesn't mm. get talked about, talked about much by Rock's fan base, I find. It's kind of sweeping under the rug for some reason. I don't understand that at all because I feel like this mm. is even more so than Reloaded, just like a perfect refinement of his style. Mm. Maybe it doesn't get talked about as much because it's... Well, they're the trap tracks, I guess. People always like to talk about those. It's like, oh, he goes over two trap songs on this. And first of all, he does it great. Second of yeah. all, like, the trap beats as they are are not just, like, typical. Like, it's not like when, like, Cool Mo D went over the trap beat earlier this year. and picked right. like, the, like, it's not like he picked, like, a YouTube trap-type beat or something. These are, like, very... Yeah. This is a legendary producer doing a really skilled variation of a modern style. Yeah. So, and much more better than when he did dubstep. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about the details. So <laughs> but, um, but the thing yeah, about... That's, sorry. No, I was just going to say the two... I, I think the first one is uh, White Dirt. I forget what the first trap trap... The other one's definitely Caught a Lick, because I always get that stuck in my head all the way. Just Caught a Lick. Uh, just Caught yeah. a Lick. But it's like he's definitely... He fits himself into like the typical... like radio trap rhyme scheme so snugly like he's like his punchlines like he doesn't have to adjust his style at all mm. but my i think my favorite stuff on here is probably dolph lundgren and yep. shit i'm on yeah yeah just like this the instrumentals just sound like both elegant and dirty at the same time especially the piano on shit i'm on just like sparkles and yep. but and his lines are just every line is fucking quotable on this. Yeah. Like there's one, there's one where he's like, I forget what he leads up to. But it's like something about being like a ghost in the room. And then he stops and he goes, boo. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Like cop the ghost. The house was spooked or something like that. that I, I cop the ghost. The house was spooked. And then he probably goes, boo. <laughs> yeah. um, the deadpan humor on this is all over it. Like it's, it's. I think this might be even funnier than Rosebud too. This is the. He has the line about you have to be from a, about his hairdo from a blimp. Yeah. Yeah. He's just the brags are out of this world. Um, I can't say enough good about this album. It's really well constructed. It's like about a half hour long. It's in, incredibly yeah. replayable. Just he. I don't think he repeats a flow on the whole thing either. Like I think every track has a different flow. Um, so two quick things about this album. Um, when it came out, I think I soul seeked the um, vinyl rip, and the vinyl version has the two track songs on it, but the CD one doesn't. It just has quarter lick. Um, so I don't know why they did that, but whatever. Um, and what else is I going to say? Oh, and I just want to shout out someone in the uh, comment box for shit I'm on described it as sentimental pistol whipping music, and that's. Just- <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's right up there so- alongside uh, He Tried to Play Me by Off Killer Season. It's the most. Oh, no, of this, like, this so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this album as well, it's like uh, it's structured in a way where it's kind of like one kind of soul song and then one kind of like dark, grungy kind of song, typically. Like it kind of goes back between the two of those uh, kind of templates. Um, and yeah, just mugs, it's like. It's him taking rock style and then injecting his flavor into it as well, and it's just such a good mix. It's um, very murky. 
yeah, it's both murky, but cl- like there's a lot of space and clarity to it too. But like mm. some of the stuff he does on there, like I forget, there's one track that has like a sitar sample on it. Um, that reminds me a lot of what he did on um, the last Cypress Hill album, Elephants on Acid, right. which I think is very underrated. That's like another really great psychedelic uh, rap album. Mm. And just, yeah, the way... Yeah, it, think- um, yeah go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's, that's on Wild Oats, uh, which is the third to last track. And it's got that real like deep kind of dirgy uh, guitar on it, eh? and with the sitar as well. Just right. Wild vintage. Oats and both Wild Oats and Wormhole have like dark, distorted beats to them. And in the middle of that, mm-hmm. you have Shit I'm On with just like the twinkly piano. Just yeah. like, yeah, the con the contrast between the the dirty stuff and the really pristine stuff works incredibly well, especially with Rock's sense of humor and mm. delivery and just it's just an airtight package. I fucking love and, this album. I think that maybe not your first rock album because I think you need to get acclimated to his style before you can really appreciate what he's doing here. Mm. But like it if you're just starting to get into him, you might not understand why Caught a Lick or White Dirt are as impressive as they are, that he's able to shift lanes like that. Also, mm-hmm. I think that as much as I love whenever he has get like, you know, something like the Black Thought feature in the last album, or obviously yeah. any of the Ka collabs, part of the reason this is so powerful is it's like the one rock album where it's just him front to back. Yeah. Yeah. He's the only voice you hear. Yeah, it's great. For 36 minutes or whatever, just all rock. And one thing, I think he uh, reuses a line on Wormhole from... Um, uh, maybe it was something on uh, Bitter Dose, but I, I feel like given that Rock has such like a um, expansive output, it's kind of inevitable that he might repeat a line or repeat the scheme somewhere down the line. Yeah, he actually has a line on here that he repeats on Mount Marcy about the plugs, Paz and Trugoy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which that, like, it does stand out to you because he so rarely does it that when he does it, it like stands out a bit like a sore thumb. Mm. I mean, it's not a big deal. Like, oh, well, he reused a line once or twice. Big deal. You could even call it a callback, but he's allowed yeah. to do that given how much he's, like, he's not recycling lines all the time. Mm. So. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, that's really all I, I thought I could be a little more articulate about that, but that's definitely my favorite. I would say my favorite, this or Reloaded. Mm. I really love this. I mean, I really come to love Muggs' production style. I think he's incredibly versatile. I think that you should people should check out all of his collaborative albums. Like he manages to make it work even with rappers. I don't care about like, right. He could have a fucking Vinnie Paz feature and I'm still going to think the song's hot. And yeah. so imagine what he can do when he has somebody like rock. Who's really right. Like, as he says on like Dolph Lundgren, this actually has to be a masterpiece. I think he actually sat down and was like, this is going to be like, you know, he really consciously tried maybe for the first time since Marsburg to write something front to back. that was going to be viewed as his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why he kept the running time down. That's why. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my view on that. So, yeah. Um, there's something else I wanted to mention about that album. Let me just look at the track list. Um, oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, just in terms of DJ Muggs, yeah, he's on a, he's been on a tear with, um, I mean, last year he had a really good output. I haven't heard all of Winter yet, but um, he's got an album coming out of Rome Streets, which I'm really excited about. So um, look out for that whenever that drops. And I think, um, does he have something, he has something in 2020, like 2021, like named Ramelzy. I forget who that's with. If that's with, um, is either with Davino, Fahim, or Estinac. I'll look it up. Uh, uh, yeah, who was it? Uh, maybe 
He just dropped one with Davino, I think. He dropped one uh, with Davino that was a bit of a disappointment. It's a Flea Lord, actually. I'm it's sorry. Flea Lord, yeah, yeah. It's going to be the Ramblers. I'm way behind. I'm way behind on all the Flea Lord stuff. Yes, yeah, and. <laughs> Because that's what happens when you drop an album a month. Yeah, the Mugs Davino is good, but it's like the Mugs beats are really good, and Davino kind of just gave it like an average effort for him, which is kind of like it felt like it deserved a little more than that. It's still good, but sure, sure. considering how much, like, you know, it felt like Davino could have put that same amount of effort on one of his Bandcamp albums, like that he recorded in the metal toilet that he charged $1,000 for, <laughs> not just for like an actual DJ Mugs like yeah concentrated release but anyway so moving on for rock since i feel like again we're lapping the three hour mark at this point as we tend to do we've still got one, plenty of time four uh, instrumentals which there's not really not too much to say. this came out i uh, believe through adult swim yeah yeah mm-hmm. so and this was hard it came out through adult swim and then it got pulled off the website like a week later yeah, I can never get it to load on the Adults on website, but someone had ripped it to SoulSeek, and now it's been officially released uh, in digital format. Uh, it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, I kind of feel like, because a lot of Rob's production is just looping one thing, having like a beat tape without him like adding drums or something, I think that's the one instance when maybe that formula doesn't work as well, if that makes sense. Uh, but it's got some good beats on there. I really like the beat for Smash and uh, I think New Money. And the last one, um, oh, what's the last? Burnt Stones is really weird. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just like a nice little bonus because he just released three great albums in 2018, so why not drop yeah, some Yeah, it was like a victory so. lap thing. I think the <laughs> biggest disappointment about this was that he was teasing there were two more when this came out, so he dropped this, and everybody's like, well, what's the next one going to be? It's going to be the Kyle album, right? And there was no fifth right. album. Like, mm. So this just kind of like pulled the football away. But yeah. it was... Uh, yeah, I, I listened to this for the homework, and I listened to it at the time, and it's like, for a, a free beat tape, which is what it originally was intended as, it's a nice little bonus, but really there's nothing super exciting on here. They feel like unfinished demos, like, they do not feel as fully realized as the beats he worked, went over on his proper albums. That said, um, Cool Points, I think, is the one really weird stones throwy thing on here that I really appreciated. And, uh, yeah, uh, Burnt Spoons, too, at the end as well. Those are the two most out-there beats. And none of these beats are bad, but they do feel like simple loops. The let's go for, like, three minutes and doesn't really do yeah. much, too. So it's like a look into his creative process, and it's you can picture him rapping over them, or you can, you know, rap along to him in your best Rock Marciano voice. If you like. <laughs> but it's, again, in the non-essential pile, probably his most non-essential thing overall, unless you're, and if you're really into his instrumentals and you want to hear what he thinks a beat tape sounds like, that's cool. But honestly, you get better beat tapes out of like the instrumentals from the Thurman Munson album or the Marsberg instrumentals. Those are actually better beat tapes than this. This is just kind of like a little, like, thank you fans bonus thing that is nice is actually circulating out there. Cause again, for a while it, I don't know what happened with it on the, Adult Swim website because nobody could get it to play, and then all that was floating around was the Soul Secret for a long time. So, but now you can um, hear it on Spotify. So, and just two quick things about this tape as well is that it reuses the beat um, from HBO, uh, the Mark Comey track, Mark Marcy. Mm. That beats on the speed tape. Mm. Which one is that? I can't remember what it's called, but that's that's the same beat um, that Mark Comey used on HBO that uh, Marcy produced. Um, well, you know, my mommy didn't pay for it in the first place, so rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, this um, that'll just get me ten more downvotes. 
there is a um, there is one rap song like with um, vocals on it on I think maybe the digital version that got released later on um, so yeah but that's pretty much it yeah it's curiosity I'm getting feedback sorry uh, okay there's one let that pass alright so yeah that's Pimps from Animals uh, seek it out or don't it's really not the most essential thing you'll ever hear from him, but I think Cool Points is a really cool beat that I'd like to hear him do something with at some point, but I don't think he's ever going to do anything with those beats. Mm. Uh, Lago has way cooler album art than the album itself, which is not to say yeah. that it's not good, but that's some amazing fucking album art. Mm. I um, I think Lago has his best technical rapping. Like, lots of the schemes are really intricate. Um, lots of like really long verses, um, like and like uh, things where he'll, he'll rhyme like through multiple beat switches, like on um, Tom Chambers. Um, yeah, lots of just really long, lengthy. St- it kind of feels like he's got all of all of the stuff that people liked about Marsberg to um, to Chaos and just put all of that like rapping kind of into one place. It's kind of like a, a, a best of in a, in a sense. I mean, I think Puff Daddy is hard as fuck. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's probably my favorite song on the on mm. the album. Yeah, I love the um, we're gonna shoot it with me and a shaman. We're gonna take your soul and analyze it. That's a great um, Stove God Cooks line. That's the kind of line that made me kind of you know pay attention to him. I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Stove God's good on both his features. I think the contract mm-hmm. is typically excellent. Mm-hmm. Um. I did not find the beats as interesting on this one. Maybe that's why I didn't gravitate towards it as much, but I, I should have re-listened to this one a lot closer because I just remember I'd listened to it a few times and I thought the rapping was great, but I didn't think it was overall as interesting as some of his best stuff in the past. But Pop Daddy is probably the the con, the con first Stove God tracks are the best. I remember really liking um, Molly Ringwald as well. Yeah. I thought that was a really strong, like, not the first track, but it was, like, a strong, like, early track to get things going. Uh, this, the Alchemist beat on there as well. Um, what's that song called? What be a second? Um, where he says, turn your living space to Camp Crystal Lake. Saw. That's oh, a real- mm. I love that line. That's a great um, line. I like Boozy Fade with Westside Gun. It has a really cool kind of psychedelic beat to it. Um, and Richard Gere has the um, went off the grid to chill like a ball with a tall meniscus line, which is like yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, and also, this uh, God loves you near the end with uh, Stove God on the on the hook uh, is again like him kind of doing a personal song as well, like a you know making it through the the struggle type song. So that's cool that he put that in there, especially like after finishing your ten year run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, like, it's kind of a fitting way to close the decade for rock with a record like this. I mean, just because it kind of encapsulates what he's good at. And I wouldn't say it takes, like, a ton of chances, but it doesn't have to do that. Right. It's very it's very comfortable, and that's uh, a good thing. I think it's a good album. 
And I really like on Tom Chambers, there's a great trade-off between uh, Knowledge and Rock where Knowledge finishes his verse by saying, I don't think you're in tune. And then Rock jumps in with, I'm on a different frequency. Um, and you see something like mm. the blunt we hit was Lace of PCP. Like, I think that's just real real sick. Lots of really slick uh, lines, like even by his standards, I feel, on this album. Um, but maybe because he's like, the songs are so long um, a lot of the time, or, you know, uh, it's probably quite easy to, to miss um, a lot of the shit that he says because it's just hitting you with so much of it. Well, I really I like that you mentioned Richard Gere because I was trying to remember what track had the one line that really stood out to me when I was listening to this at work the other day. And it has the line, uh, listen, kid, I'm still on that pimp shit. My shooter's like Larry Bird. He from Port-au-Prince. He not from French Lick. That line, <laughs> mm, that's like, hard. He's really, he's got some slick fucking, we'll get to it in his most recent album. He has some really slick like sports reference lines. Mm. And that that's got to be up there because like, you know, shooting like an NBA player is a cliche. That's fine. Mm. So you've got so then he makes a Larry Bird reference, which is like a throwback reference, not the most obscure reference you can make. It's a little slicker. But then he manages to draw in like, you know, Larry Bird French lick. That's a bit of a deeper reference. And then the way he raps, he's able to rot like well, Port-au-Prince with French lick. Now that's fucking tough. Mm. Sure. I also like that he got Willie the Kid on this album because um, Willie the Kid often gets rock on his projects. He's on um, Pimpire, but like you know, that he hasn't been on a rock album since then. So it's cool that he got him on there because I feel like Willie the Kid's quite underrated. He's got you know a really good output of work. Um, occupies a similar space to rock as well, where it's just like you know, just fly shit, but doing it really well. So um, uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. That that's a good collab on um, Bomb Shelter. Yeah, I feel like this is probably. I'm, I'm not giving this enough credit that this is like, cause just cause it doesn't take so many in the way of chances. It's just him doing what he does pretty much perfectly throughout. <laughs> and he doesn't, I don't know. It's kind of like not surprising anymore that he's put out another great project. Kind right, of. right, right, right. Like, <laughs> consistent it's, it's, to a fault almost. Like yeah. he's almost got like the yeah. currency syndrome where people just say like you take him for granted because he does the mm-hmm. same thing so well over and over. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like sure. much like currency as well, it's like he raps about the same stuff, but he man over and over he manages to keep it fresh by the way he mm-hmm. does it through yeah. like just skill and charisma and. Like, it's not what he, it's like I, the argument I make for Push all the time is not what he says, it's how he says it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to get a Pusher and Rock song at some point, right? Because, like, Pusher T's been jumping on Benny shit and he's obviously got his ear to, to this kind of stuff. So I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, like, he was definitely, like, yeah, Push did the song on, um, with uh Benny. Yeah, you said Benny at first. Time. I thought you said Beanie, like Beanie Seal. <laughs> <laughs> But that, no, also, that also would be a fit, though. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> kind of, sort of, well, when I listened to Daytona, Daytona reminded me of Reloaded a little bit in terms of what he was going for and, like, just the level of, like, I think when I learned to appreciate rock is what I learned to see a lot of what I liked about Clips and Push in particular in rock and the way he, like, crafts his persona and says the same shit in a more clever way than his contemporaries. Mm. And just so carefully crafted, too. For sure. But yeah, um, just trying to pick out, like, I, again, I'd just be picking, like, great lines out of this. Mm. He's, it's probably, yeah, well, you're right about it being, like, a technical. I, I think that maybe 
Chaos is a little more impressive as a technical rapping performance because it's so condensed and tight and right. it's him front to back. But in terms of just like intricate multis and like not in terms of structure, like song structure, but just rapping for rapping's sake, this is mm. probably his technical peak. Mm. A lot of stuff he does here is really like he's got the same sense of humor punchlines, but the way he gets to them is like more intricate than ever. And like yeah, he's got that it's... like there's one line he has on here. I think I'm again quoting Richard Gear. That's a really good song. It's got like a ton of great lines. He's like, "Do me like I, he completely switches from whatever he was talking about before. He's like, "Do me a solid. Come suck what's behind the zipper." It's like, <laughs> do you ask for a blowjob by asking somebody to do him a solid? <laughs> <laughs> like the deadpan sense of humor is so fucking like it's still as strong as ever. Mm. And that that song is that's like that entire song is him pausing as the beat pauses and then jumping back in so that's like probably the best example of him using that um space which he often does you know yeah it's he's really unafraid to rhyme rap over anything and even though he's not taking the cut like he's not rapping over weird shit like cbs like something as weird as cbs on this album that doesn't mean that these are like conventional beats for anyone else yeah for sure he's still doing stuff that would like a, a much less skilled MC would have a lot of trouble with. Yeah. in particular as well, uh, that track say la vie, which is a, um, animal that is really weird too. Like that's like quite hard to explain. I can't, can't really think of anyone else going in on that beat, you know, but he's found the way to do it. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to check more Archdruid's animal stuff after this episode too. Cause I think that I, fallen off on checking them and they've been a really big part of his sound that i hadn't acknowledged so i mean like obviously they were responsible for large parts of uh real like some of the best parts of reloaded and um you said also uh rosebud two right or rosebud uh, one rosebud one and two yeah right into right mm. so we're getting closer to the end here uh unless anybody else has anything to say about marcia lago no i think we think we covered it yeah, so we've got um, this was one that I guess pissed people off because it showed up on Rock's RYM page, and people are like, "It's not a Rock Marciano album," even though he produced all the tracks on it. Is a uh, uh, Stove God Cooks Reasonable Drought, mm-hmm. and uh, this is one that I liked when I heard it earlier this year, and I listened to it again for the show, and it didn't leave as much of an impression on me. But I think I was just burnt out on listening to so much rock at this point because I think I it just didn't really resonate with me because it's definitely very good but i didn't feel like stove god was as commanding of a presence as he is on features as, over the course of the whole album yeah i've only listened to this a couple of times but i don't think anything on it um stood out to me as much as um puff daddy um but i don't know maybe yeah, i need kinda, to reconsider it grew off it kind of grew off me a little bit too and it's got like an awkward sex song on it as well um and yeah i know it's good though i, I feel like um it's a bread of life or something. There's some really good beats on there. Uh, just real quintessential rock loops. Um, but I don't know. Probably need to spend more time with this album. But I feel like he's kind of got, um, he's, he's got crossover appeal as well. Um, Stove God Cooks, I think. Yeah, he's definitely, I mean, clearly other rappers see something in him. He's worked extensively with West Side and stuff. But mm. I feel like, Maybe not for a whole project yet, 
Right. Because I, I, I found him entertaining on features. I thought that he was good on that West Side project where people thought it was annoying that he kept showing up. But I was like, I enjoyed his contributions to that. But this one, just like the first time I heard it, I was like, it was pretty good. But I couldn't tell you anything about that I liked about it. And then I listened to it again today and I just went in one ear and out the other. Where I, right. I wouldn't say anything on it was bad, but again, I, it just left no impression on me, which hmm. seems contrary because I thought he was a pretty strong personality on features, but not so much on this whole project. Right. So, but yeah, yeah, if you like if you like Rock's production, still check it out. Hmm. I don't think there's an instrumental version of this one, sadly, which is weird because Rock's normally pretty good about getting those out. But so you know, it's worth checking out. Like. I think this guy's best work is ahead of him, though. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a really great like breakthrough project for sure, but I just haven't revisited it as much as I typically would for something rock-related. So that brings us to his real rock's proper release from this year. And really, he he had like a period where he wasn't putting shit out for a while, and then he's been pretty consistent. Like, 2018, he put out five, four albums... 2017, he put out, so yeah, Marcy Broku was 2013. Then he was pretty quiet until 2017 with Rosebud. If you count the Thurman Munson album, that was two. 2018, he put out four. 2019, he put out Marcy Lago. And now 2020, he puts out two albums. So he's insanely prolific. Like, oh, for sure. Like, I mean, I don't think that, I mean, he had a quiet period in the middle, but for mm. like, his consistency level, too, like, there we've not covered a single bad album. Like, the two albums I would say are least, the three that I would say are least essential that we covered are a beat tape that was free, and two producer projects where he was not what I would say was the problem with the project. Right. And we get to his most recent project, Mount Marcy, which is just once again he's back into doing more weird shit. Like he's still artistically restless, mm. and he's still not, but he's still also like the same level of technicality and craftsmanship as ever. Like he has not fallen off a bit. Like he's just ridiculously consistent. So, cause I think that this has probably, it has some of his best collaborations ever like Broadway Billy with Keith. I think it's better than anything on the love and why album. I think sure. it's really, it's a super weird, challenging beat for Keith. And you're going to give Keith in 2020, something like that. You're taking a real risk because he doesn't even know how to sometimes say on beats that are conventional at this point, depending on how much he cares, but he really showed up for that feature. The Bronson track is a great collaboration. Uh, the schoolboy track is one of the mm. best schoolboy verses in recent years. Like he really just can't show the fuck up for that one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a collaboration. I never thought like, I don't think they'd worked together before. I never knew I wanted this collaboration before, but that's just tough as hell. Mm. Um, and then I guess, much like we had to talk about Bed Spring King, although I'm going to be a lot kinder to this song, we have to talk about, would you say Wicked Days is the weirdest Rock Marcy song? Yes, mm -hmm. I would. Because uh, even before you get into the whale, like the Trent Truce part, whoever the fuck Trent Truce is, um, mm -hmm. like, the beat itself is like nothing he's ever gone over before. It's straight up dialect stuff almost. Yeah, um, I would I would say uh, it kind of in a weird way reminds me of those latest clipping horrorcore albums where it's just like lots of empty space and just like weird noises. Like this whole beat's just like bass and like rattling noises, right? More or less. It reminds me of like, yeah, I don't know if clipping's the best. Like it 
dialect, dialect was the first thing I thought of, but I mean, some of the more like avant-garde type clipping shit probably also applies to, because it just it was like a lot of like rattling metal and mm. just, it feels very industrial and buzzy and amusical and completely not like, I mean, like he's done weird shit before, like CBS felt like it was coming out of like a completely different headspace than anything else he'd done before too. And this is different than that. Mm. And there's stuff on here that feels like beats, the sort of beats he would go over in the past, like those dark noir cold weather beats, but they're just more distorted and weird somehow. I don't know. Stuff it's, like uh, it's desolate. Like it gets really desolate near the end. I feel with the production on this album. Definitely. I feel like it's, it feels more apocalyptic than his album that was named after the apocalypse. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, also on wicked days, he's got a great line where he says, I'm rocking lizard. The skin on the kicks is Hillary Clinton. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just talking about Queen Elizabeth as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is absolutely <laughs> flames. I love that. But I also, I, I did mention this pre taping, but, uh, downtown 81 which is a great jake one beat but mm. also has is the most disrespectful song to jalen rose that i can remember in hip-hop <laughs> like jalen rose just i mean not that i'm not there's no guarantee jalen rose is ever going to listen to this song but he just gets demolished uh on, on this track that's uh yeah i mean like it's wild gibbs remembered kobe in his own way on his album and rock chose to remember kobe by just right. Donkey on Jalen Rose. Right. How 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 Kobe would remember Kobe? You know what I mean? <laughs> Kobe yeah, I think, would be like, "Yeah, fuck that. Remember my '81." <laughs> exactly. Kobe wouldn't want you to cry over him. Kobe would want you to remember that. We'll remember clowning <laughs> Jalen Rose with 81 points. Yeah. So that that is what I was referring to as like the meanest basketball punchline that he has. And there's again no shortage of mean punchlines on this. Uh, mm. He references the Garbage Pail Kids in one of yeah. the titles, which I thought was a... I don't know if the song has any Garbage Pail Kids punchlines, but that's just like a really off-the-wall, like, sort of... That just shows you, like, the kind of reference base that he has, that he would use that as a... Uh, and he also has, like, a real... The other thing about Rock Marcy is that he has some of the most groan-inducing puns ever. He mainly, mainly saves them for plays on his title... Uh, album titles, plays on his name, but The Eye of Horus... With oh horror, yeah, this sounds like core. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's um right before our track called Steel Vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and that song's vicious too. No, that song is like yeah, that song is hard as nails. It's not really like about steel vaginas. <laughs> um, yeah, um, garbage pale kids. I think that's probably my f that followed. What's the song after that? Um, let me just check. It's uh, that, then Crockett Tubbs, Tubbs, and then the title track, yeah. Yeah, so Garbage Pail Kids, I, I kind of feel like a, it's kind of like a sequel to White Dirt, where it's like this kind of uh, detuned like, guitar, but this is just like the, the stripped-back version of that, you know, without like all the crazy buzzing noises and shit. It's some real, like, it's some real, like, uh, empty streets, like, you know, garbage blowing across the street type shit. Um that's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm a big fan of that song. Well, I mean, I kind of feel like the last third, well, really, like, yeah, the last 
third of the album more or less starting with the cool keith feature is like it gets like you said increasingly more desolate and apocalyptic and like i feel like it builds to wicked days and that's just kind of like burning everything down and like the last three are just kind of like rubble and like garbage just kind of like floating around like you know it's like always like a desolate new york street corner but now it's been like completely ravaged and maybe this is like sort of the right soundtrack for such an apocalyptic feeling year like you're not going to get like topical like like social consciousness you know (laughs) bars out of rock marciano he's not going to like he'll reference covid in like a very clever sort of way on covid cough but it's not going to be like a direct like you know socially addressing the pandemic sort of thing but i feel like he manages to tune into the mood of the year the unique mood of the year very dark mood with the instrumentals here even if the lyrical content is mostly still the same i think that this is probably in terms of the sonic palette he's working with one of his darkest fringiest albums and that reflects the time in which it was made yeah and it's it's uh, probably his most bass heavy too like it's lots of uh low vibrational tones going on just just in general th- throughout the production well the mugs album having listened to it in the car a lot has tons of bass on it too and there's another yep. reason why i think the mugs album is my favorite is that it works equally well on car stereo and headphones it feels like it's engineered for both this one i do agree it has but it has like that blown out bass sound to it where it's yes. like not like a club bass sound not like a groove sound more like it's trying to like damage your speakers yeah mm. i mean there was kind of stuff like this on Marsburg, and that was probably unintentional um but yeah on, on this album it's just it seems to be for a lot of the beats the main focus is is the bassiness which is pretty unusual for rock's production I did not know that uh, Chuck Strangers was responsible for Baby Powder. That's a, That was an interesting choice. Yeah, like, yeah, I think he does the first beat. Maybe there's two beats on there. Yeah, it has a switch in the middle, so maybe he just does the first half. But, but yeah, this will be the first time, well, the, the most, uh, the, the one album that he's produced the most of since Marsburg, which is all him. Uh, there's only two uh, outside producers on this album. Yeah, Jake One on uh, Downtown and uh, Chuck Stranger. Yeah, and I think that's no like that's very telling that it is so like dark and I don't know it just feels like a culmination of a lot of experimental stuff he was doing while still staying true to what he's been doing since Marsburg and as a rapper he's just as on point as ever can't say anything bad about his rap performance just cold rap like cold punchlines references like one of those rappers who spends an hour insulting you the listener and you're grateful for it yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's a great way to put it. I also want to say my uh, my favorite track is, uh, you know, I, I love the track Garbage Pail Kids, where it talks about how this chick's going to run if he calls her over a guitar. I also like the song uh, Pimps Don't Wear Rabbits, which talks about how those hating need to quit over a grimy beat. <laughs> I see what you're These are weird <laughs> observations that you're making here. I feel like, I feel like I've heard them before. <laughs> you don't. You don't like the. You don't like the. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I can't. I can't. Tubbs, which talks about how real bad boys move in silence over. Uh, we got to do one of these in episode. Like it just has to happen. <laughs> it, it inevitably comes up. Like we, even when you're not trying to read one of his reviews, it just happens to be in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, my favorite part of this review though, is like you actually get an opinion of his, an actual opinion. You do. Like he's talking about uh, 
while the song Wicked Days talks about how no angel can stop the bullets over a murky beat and the Trent Truce feature is whack as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part is like when it's when he's talking about a song and the title of the song is x right and then the description for the song is just the title basically he doesn't do that on here but it's like he doesn't do it on here but like the song trench coat wars is about trench coat wars going to war in a trench coat yeah, Cro- Crockett and Tubbs is just a plot synopsis for Crockett and Tubbs. Like, yeah. <laughs> talks about Miami Vice over here. <laughs> oh my god. It's just Crockett like. Bell Kids is a song about collecting cards. <laughs> <laughs> the song Wicked Days is about some wicked days over a gritty trap beat. <laughs> no, th- yeah. Um, so, I guess god. to wrap it up. Um, we kind of already discussed along the way, but I always like to go with, cause it's not always the same thing. What would you, what would your introduction album be for rock and what's your favorite of his? Oh, before, before we do that, can I just have some last notes on Mount Marcy? Well, I mean, it wouldn't be an episode if I didn't cut the guest off inappropriately to try. It <laughs> the episode, really. so, just in addition to the intros, it's something I always do, but yeah, feel free. I uh, just want to say that the beat on butterfly effect is really fucking heavy. Um, and also, uh, Crockett and Tubbs, um, there's a really like interesting, the way he plays the sample on that with like the high pitched vocal and it like kind of keeps going up, you know, like the pitch goes high and then drops back down again. Um, that's just a really cool, cool, uh, feature of that beat. And also like, I love the, like the rattling noise. Um, I don't know if any of you guys listen to, um, uh, what was the album? Um, and I'm not infinite. The um, album, yeah, by, yeah, no, that was um, something ultra, something King Ultra, King Vision Ultra, and King Vision uh, Ultra, and yeah, and um, uh, Amani. Um, if you listen to that song, Scrapes, the Elusive song, one of the best verses of the year, by the way. That Elusive verse is fucking amazing. But yeah, it's a great album. Um, I'm not infinite, but um, yeah, the, if you listen to Scrapes and you listen to um, that rock song, I don't know, just like similar thing with that kind of weird like rattling noise being a main focus of the beat i just i don't know i find that shit really cool yeah i feel like the bait i'm glad you mentioned the bass lines because i feel like the bass lines on like butterfly effect and especially broadway billy i think the way the bass and the piano work together on broadway billy is really like menacing in an unconventional sort of way like i feel like there's a lot about this album that's just doing stuff he did in the past, but through like a, like I said, like a weird distorted lens. Almost. Yeah. I, I read a, a really funny tweet. Someone said where they're like, um, this rock album starts off normal and then cool Keith shows up for tab of acid. And he says, ignore the barbecue stains. And then from there, it just like gets really odd, which I don't know. I feel like that's accurate. <laughs> that, I think that's a good way to describe it. It's like a acid rap rock album almost like for all of like the psychedelic stuff he's done in the past this is the one that feels really genuinely fucked because like the other ones were like more controlled experiments this one you can actually feel it kind of going off the rails and even like even though downtown 81 start like downtown 81 is probably the most conventional rock song on here i would say it's the closest thing to something off marsburg or reloaded and mm-hmm. even that feels a little bit off 
And yeah, then, sure. like, like the vocal mixing on COVID cough too, like the way the ad libs are like crowding the mix. They're mm-hmm. funny ad libs too, and like it's, and that might just be because it's a schoolboy song, and like that's how schoolboy likes his vocals to be done. Like he's always right. bouncing all over the mix, but that also feels like it's different territory for him too. And I feel like the vocal mixing on throughout the album too is very much like all in a like denser, and it's not like the same sort of clarity you had on Chaos or Reloaded. Like the, yeah, this, those were the big production achievements previously, and this one feels like it's going for a completely different sort of headier effect. For sure, and there's that also that weird distorted vocal effect on um, on uh, Baby Powder, um, where it, like he drops the the he pitch shifts it like quite quite low, um, which is yeah, really really kind of monged. <laughs> Uh, and also, um, yeah, I love trench coat wars. Just the way that like the sounds are so atmospheric, but they just keep repeating. It's like really uh, immersive on headphones. Yeah, I yeah. think this album is one of the. I probably would rank it in the top three or four rock projects. I think it's it starts out immediate, like Patrick said, with Downtown Eighty One and. Uh, COVID cough, which is my favorite schoolboy verse in at least three plus years. Um, he fucking snapped on that track. I don't know where that's been. I don't know. It's not as good as chopsticks. Chops. (laughs) I can't, I was going to try to do the, the Travis Scott hook and I can't, my voice can't go that high. (laughs) Uh, I well, Travis can't. Scott shouldn't have tried to do the Travis Scott hook on Chops. No, no, no. I, it was, uh, that was a mistake for everybody involved there. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it just has a lot of different hallmarks of what makes a Rock Marciano album good. Like, it has that callback to, like, Reloaded and Marsburg era. It has, like, even the, the Rosebud's Revenge kind of era of stuff. Like, I mean, the easy choices are, like, the action track and um i but i I would even say a song like broadway billy could have fit on like um maybe like that chaos like chaos um that project i think just because it to me rock's career is broken up into a couple of different components Mm -hmm. like you can you can break them up into segments rather and i think that like Rosebud's Revenge, like the first segment is like Marsburg to Marcy Buku Pimpire era, and then it's like Rosebud's Revenge, like Patrick said, he took that break. And then I think the third segment is kind of like starting now, this new decade with, with Mount Marcy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Look, look, Rock is so consistent that a lot, of, a lot of his albums, I kind of come up with the same talking points, but I really enjoy the vast majority of his work, and he's... Uh, a really like essential rapper. I'm glad to glad that he's been doing this and continuing to, you know, impress us all for the last ten plus years. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this this album feels like both a culmination and like a fresh start. It doesn't replace my favorite. Again, I think Chaos is probably my favorite, possibly because I've been listening to it so much lately, possibly because I think it's because I value Muggs so much as an artist, too. But I feel like it's just his most first, like his most finely honed project, like the most 
I'm trying to think of the right word for it. And like, it's funny because I'm trying to articulate. It's his most articulated project, I guess. But I think that is most interesting. That might not make it his most interesting for other people because some of what makes his other projects great is that he goes off on like weird little tangents, like the Greenberg album, or like even something like Bed Spring King. Like that's something that. I might not be there for it necessarily, but it's impressive that he was able to do it. And again, like I was talking about how he's better at doing this character sketching than Rick Ross. Bed Spring King is certainly more, it's a regrettable sex song that's technically impressive as opposed to a hundred Rick Ross regrettable sex songs that aren't technically impressive. <laughs> so even when he makes like something that I consider to be like an artistic miss, he does it in a way that's still impressive because he's that compelling of an artist. He's an auteur. He really is. Like, and he's got an incredibly funny juvenile sense of humor. Like, he mm. has so many lines about making pussies fart. <laughs> <laughs> More than you would think. And because I don't know how soundproof my basement is. I've tried to not quote too many of them. But, you know, we don't we did not record this one outside though, so I can't I can't traumatize children with that. <laughs> I've traumatized children recording this show before though. I feel like it's very appropriate as well, given that you're recording this in a basement whilst we've just discussed Mount Marcy, which is like the, the dingiest shit there is. <laughs> that is. And I'm wondering, do you think that, so I guess the other question I'd like to ask is where do you think the artist is going to go next? And like, since I said this, since we all seem to think this is like a new beginning for him, do we think he gets dingier and darker from here? Like, or more dissonant or where, where does this seem to be lead? Like, where do we think rock goes from here? Do we get the fucking Metal Clergy album? Oh, man. God willing. So we, we still need a Metal Clergy album. We need the Alchemist one. And at one point, he was talking about doing an album with Mad Lib. So Everyone has been doing an album with Mad Lib in the past two years. And I don't believe any of them until I see them. I mean, <laughs> I guess the Fortet one's a reality because the single from that just dropped on Spotify. It's pretty good. Like, it sounds more like a Mad Lib song than a Fortet song, but that one I actually thought it doesn't. I didn't see Fortet's name on it, but then Horse told me that's what it was, and I could hear yeah. it after the fact. But like, there my, I don't count any promises of Mad Lib albums ever. Like at this point, they're like when Kanye announces an album, it's like, all right, I'll wait, I'll, I'll wait and see on this one. Because think about all the Mad Lib albums we've been promised that, like, that are coming out the day after Never. Yeah, the Black Star album. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Mad, Mad Villainy 2. Like. Well, I mean, Mad Villainy 2 is just... Yeah, yeah. I don't think he ever actually promised that. Like, no, no. The, like, the Black Star album was the first example I could think of of like things that were said to be happening and allegedly right. confirmed. The thing is, when you don't expect anything out of Mad Lib, you get nice surprises. Like, he came out with that uh, Jahari Masamba unit album, which is, like, him and Kareem Riggins doing, like, Yesterday's New Quintet Jazz. Mm. Which, I don't even remember if he ever promised that or not, but it actually showed up, and since I wasn't mm. expecting anything, it was a really nice little surprise. So, so yeah, but as far as rock goes, I would, I'm, I'd assume the Alchemist thing is going to come out eventually. Probably already recorded, because Alchemist is actually good about releasing things he says he's going to do, or He's actually smarter. He doesn't necessarily announce them. He just releases them. Like, he yeah, didn't true. announce Alfredo. He just put out a single for it. Yeah. And so, like, I think Alchemist is like Mad Lib if Mad Lib didn't sit on everything he ever made. <laughs> Alchemist actually releases his music. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, in terms of sound, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's possible for him to push farther in the direction that he did on Mount Marcy, but he 
probably could. Like I don't put anything past him at this point. Yeah, I I, I suppose it all kind of depends on like what his next focus for like record digging is, eh? Because a lot of his uh, kind of Rosebud's Revenge era stuff is just like obscure psych rock and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It depends on what he's uh, obviously gets inspired by, and if we're going to get more like layered production or if he can go more experimental, because I feel like he can't just do an album like Wicked Days. I, I feel like that would alienate his fan base. <laughs> no, I feel like that's also, it's as good as, like I actually think Wicked Days works very well on like a lot of people, but then again, I also thought East worked very well. But <laughs> so, like, I guess I'm the minority on a lot of these things. But I think that what I'd like to see is, Within his circle, if he's going to continue with the same sound, I'd like to see him work with somebody like Big Ghost. Maybe I'd like to see him do maybe like another producer collab album with like some mm-hmm. like he did with Mugs with maybe somebody like Big Ghost is the first name that came to mind because I can't think of anything they've really done together. Although I'm sure he's been on a track that Big Ghost has produced. There's no way he hasn't. Like that seems way too. Uh, well, Big Ghost is doing an album with Knowledge of the Pirate, so I imagine we'll hear that soon with a rock feature on it. Oh, no doubt. So that there'll be at least that. And as far as Rock himself goes as a producer, aside from his own material, I'd like to see him try and work with somebody who isn't just like the same sort of like, I mean, yeah, Stove God has a little more personality than your average street rapper, but I'd like to see him work with somebody weird. Like maybe. Yeah, I mean, he has like, a song with Billy Woods on um, History Will Absolve Me. What mm. an incredible fucking song. Body Great of song. The best, that's. Yeah, I can't believe we didn't really talk about that either. And that was, well, I guess when that came out, when I was starting to go through my Billy Woods thing, when I would have listened to that, I wasn't quite as into Marciano. So I revisited that a lot later. But yeah, the fact that he's able to hang with Woods on that is Mm -hmm. incredibly impressive and shows that he is really underrated as like, because you don't think of rock, like we've talked a lot of praise his lyrics a lot on the episode, but it's a lot in terms of like, he has funny punch lines or really great flow. But like when he wants to actually like, you want to break down like genius style, his lyrics, he can give you that verse if he really wants to. It's just, he almost never chooses to do that. That's one of the verses where he does. Yeah. Because he realizes he's up against somebody who's like looms really large with who like has a lot to say, but I'd like to see him work with somebody weird. Like even like weird in terms of like Al Davino, something like that or asking. Right. Well, I I do know that um, I, if you follow, or if you look at his manager's um, Twitter page, uh, jazz, Ewing gang, um, he sometimes mentions what like they're working on. I recall him, him mentioning that there was a Rock uh, Marcy and Earl sweatshirt collab, um, and also he was working with um, Anderson Park. Anderson Park. Yeah. All right. Well, that will probably lead to the if No Worries is any example. If we combine like No Worries and Rock's like you know tracks for the ladies this is probably going to be the most misogynist <laughs> album of all time but it will probably sound really fucking good so it will kind of let them skate on that <laughs> what you probably won't let us skate on is taking up four hours of your time so we're going to wrap up the episode now i guess we kind of decided on came to a consensus on what our favorite like you said that your favorite rock album is probably um I can't believe I can't remember because you did say it was Marsburg. It is Marsburg, though. It is. Oh, it is Marsburg. Oh, it is Marsburg. So you still, yeah. so you still don't think he's top Marsburg his whole career? Um, he probably has like, yeah, it's a tough one. I just feel like 
I think me liking Marsburg, it was probably more of like a nostalgic thing because it was what really got me into the shit. And like, it's probably the one I've listened to the most. And um, again, just the way that it kind of tells more of his come up story, admittedly through him just talking a lot of shit. Um, I, I think that's what really sticks with me. But I, I do think probably his best album is Reloaded. Um, it's just uh, it's a mood album which I'm probably not always going to play. More so because I find the second half is especially like you know within that mood. So yes, Marsberg is, is my favourite for now. Yeah, mm, yeah. I mean, I, I would say I, I don't think I have a definitive favourite, kind of like I alluded to at the beginning of the episode. But I think Bush comes to shove. I might say Rosebud's Revenge one, just because I really got. I was much more in tune with rock with that album than going forward. Yeah, I like I said before, I'm probably going to go with Chaos, but I would agree that Reloaded is, like I said before, also I'm going to agree with myself, but I'm also going to agree with what you said. Reloaded is probably his best album in terms of craftsmanship and as an entry point as well, because I think it shows him doing what he does best at its highest level without with like the occasional like feature or outside contribution that might like bring in some like the Q-tip beat or something that might bring in an outside listener who doesn't have anything. Whereas the mugs album is pure unadulterated rock and mugs the whole time. So I think that the, that reloaded kind of makes a little bit of, I don't want to say concessions, but it, re- it reaches out of his circle just enough that I think it would be a good entry point. But personally, I think the chaos hits for me the most but i think it's telling about him as an artist that we have like three different favorite albums from three different periods in his career and we can all safely say that he's never put out anything whack so yeah he's an incredibly consistent artist hopefully if you've listened to this episode you've gained some you know insight into his career some stuff that you maybe didn't listen to that you have to check out now or that you didn't like at first that you have some incentive to give another fresh listen to so thought fell been great having you on you know way more about rock marcy than us so always good to have somebody to give us more insight hope to have you on again soon yeah that'd be great thanks for inviting me um hopefully i was somewhat coherent um but yeah it was really good um very enjoyable so don't need to worry about being coherent when you have my introductions and transitions (laughs) you look look coherent by comparison like an average looking person's a giant when they stand next to a midget so that's how that works but this has been Living Off Borrowed Time, and our outro music is Stagnated Pace by Can Kick. We'll see you next time. Peace. It ain't gonna never stop. 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 It ain't gonna never stop.
time will tell. Time is yet to be conquered by man. But when the time is right, perhaps the greatest revelation of all time will dawn upon us.